2: Today, we are on to the second episode of our movie series, where we will be
3: discussing The Wrath of Khan. Dun, dun, dun. But before (laughs) we do that, we have a very special shout out. And tonight, or today, whenever you're listening to this, our shout out is to the fabulous Lady Groka on Instagram. Lady Grilka, we love Lady Grilka. She's awesome. <laughs> yes. She has been there supporting us since like our podcast was very young and just a baby. And she started following us on Instagram, and she posts some really amazing Klingon pictures. Always tags the Duro sisters in it, and we just feel the Klingon support from the House of Grilka. So thank you, Lady Grilka, for all your support.
2: Yes, and it's always a pleasure to wake up and see a message in the inbox from Lady Grilka because it's always some really amazing post about a Klingon. And I just, mm, it warms my heart. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so you might be wondering, what's the deal? Why are they so formal in this episode? They're getting straight to the comment? What's going on?
3: (laughs) This is because we have a very special guest in our Zoom studio with us today, Woo! our father, Robbie Hurd. Welcome. (laughs) Woo!
1: Thank you very much. I am just absolutely thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: We're so happy that you're here. This is so exciting. We have been wanting Dad on the podcast for a while, and he is a big movie buff, and so we figured... Dad, choose your favorite Star Trek movie, and we can record a review with you.
1: <laughs> it's going to be great. I am so excited to get into some Khan.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: See, it's interesting that you chose Khan as your favorite because I think, and especially I feel this way after having just finished the movie again, I feel like this is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I love Khan so much. Yeah.
1: Oh, God. Uh, you can't beat Ricardo Montalbán. The guy is yeah. unbelievable. I cannot wait to do a deep Ricardo Matablon dive soon. Yes. yes. He's oh, always coming. He's amazing. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, Completely. I just was yeah. so blown away. But we'll talk about that later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. So dad, we have a couple of questions just so the audience can get to know you and you can have a chance to steal the stage for a moment. So sure. I'm curious, when did you first start watching Star Trek, like at the very beginning?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I'm not quite old enough to catch its original run. I'm almost old enough, but not quite old enough. So I kind of just checked it out like a lot of people did just just with reruns in the 70s. I was six, seven years old and this show would just be on, when we lived in Denver, it would just be on Channel 2 and it would be like these reruns and... This show to me, I was like, what is this? This is weird, but it's kind of cool. And it was like nothing that I had seen. And it was really funny because it came on right after Gilligan's Island. Really? Which, for all of you that know Gilligan's Island, much different than Star Trek. much, Much different than Star Trek. So maybe the contrast kind of caught my eye. But I just really thought it was intriguing and... I always kind of liked science fiction. Uh, I remember seeing Lost in Space, which is going way back, and, you know, and seeing movies like Forbidden Planet and stuff like that, but I really liked the fact that it was a little bit out there, and they pushed some boundaries a little bit, and at the same time, these characters had relationships with each other, which I hadn't really seen. They, you know, they were actually trying to develop some relationships, and the acting was just tremendous, tremendously over the top, and, um, (laughs) you know, you kind of combine all those things, and... I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of into of this show. So I kind of just—that's how it started, kind of innocently, and then I just started watching the reruns until I pretty much saw them all, and then I just kept watching and saw them all two or three times. So,
3: yeah. That's awesome. I love that you've been watching Star Trek since you were a kid. It makes this conversation even more fun because. I feel like, at least for me, my view has changed so much of Star Trek as I rewatch it as an adult versus when I watched it as a kid. And so it's cool to see, like, we're all sort of children of Star Trek here. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah,
2: we're definitely the next generation, but Dad is the original
3: series. (laughs) For sure.
1: Well played, Ashlyn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) So, Dad, our next question is, who is your favorite Star Trek character of all time?
1: Whew. You know, that's kind of a hard question. It's almost like my favorite song. It kind of changes. But mm-hmm. I think overall, if I had to really pinpoint it, which it sounds like I do right now, um, <laughs> I'm seeing Bones, you know? Oh! Um, yeah. Right in yeah.
3: there.
0: Yes!
1: He, you know, I never thought he got quite enough love, n- not quite enough screen time. Oh. He is so witty. He kind of is the glue that brings the show together. He really is. I mean... No, he's not, like, a main, main character. You know, usually, generally, the plots don't revolve around him. But he has those funny comedic lines just at the right time. He knows how to troll Spock like no one else can, (laughs) which... I love, I love yes. that. he's He gets under his green blood so often. <laughs> yeah. It's great to see. him, And I like his relationship with Captain Kirk. It's a special one. And sometimes they kind of just like give each other that look because they've known each other for so long. And it's kind of when you've known someone forever. If you have a friend that you've known since high school or even, even before that, you just know him so well that they kind of have that relationship. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's just unspoken. Yeah, he just brings so much personality to the show. So definitely definitely bumps
2: yeah oh man and especially you know this is what we get so much in wrath of Khan too and i feel like mccoy always steals the show i'm definitely with you dad i love mccoy
3: <laughs> he yeah. is underrated i agree that's a wonderful answer yeah. okay so now rihanna i have a question for you yes and this is
2: quite our question intro now <laughs> rihanna what was your memory of the first time watching wrath of Khan?
3: <laughs> oh man my main memory was tears Because this movie absolutely, I mean, of course, the movie's ending absolutely wrecked me. Same as sort of the motion picture. This was when we were going sort of marathoning on spring break with mom in Georgia. We were marathoning Star Trek movies and we watched Wrath of Khan. And I remember, of course, not knowing Khan from the context of the series From space seed but just knowing that this is the guy who killed spock and i can never forgive that because spock was the character that i was immediately drawn to and the character that i loved more than like i could even comprehend at the time and of course my love for spock has only grown throughout these years (laughs) but i think mostly what i remember from my first viewing of wrath of khan is just being inconsolable at the end of the movie like i was constantly asking mom like when is he (laughs) he's not actually dead right like this isn't a thing they're not actually doing this right now right because it just felt so cruel and just the way it happens i just vividly remember the whole needs of the many scene i remember just every single moment of that pain that i was feeling at the time and yeah that's about all i remember from the movie i don't even remember the genesis device or anything like that it was just about my Spock grief, <laughs> so
2: yeah. just pain and sorrow is your memory. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
3: <laughs> what about you, mm. Ashlyn? What was your first memory of watching The Wrath of Khan?
2: Last week, we were reminded by our own mom that I had a incorrect memory of watching the motion picture, and <laughs> we were actually in Georgia. I believe we were in Denver, but we were not. So this also took place in Georgia, as Rihanna said, and I remember feeling really into it the whole time. And I think sometimes watching Star Trek movies, they have a slow point and you're like, all right, now I gotta go get some popcorn and stretch, (laughs) maybe take a little nap, especially with the motion picture. But I did not feel like that way at all. I was glued to the TV the entire time I was watching. And I was also very sad, not quite as sad as Rihanna, but I was also just devastated at the end of this movie. But I knew I had immediate, solace because I knew there was like five more movies to go so
3: (laughs) yeah I yeah. mean, it's particularly because the third one's called a search for Spock. That helps a lot. How about you, Dad? Well,
1: here's the thing that's funny about it is when I first saw it was in the theater because mm-hmm. it just come out, I didn't know there was going to be five more or six more <laughs> because I was seen in 1982 in the theater uh-huh. as a 13-year-old boy. So, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, what a different experience than maybe you, than the two of you had as far as Star Trek was finally coming to the theater. I know we had the motion picture. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I kind of like the motion picture. That's another story for another day. (laughs) But I mean, so for me, my emotions were pretty much the same as Rihanna's. I just could not believe this was happening. And I kind of remember thinking, no, 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 this can't be happening. No, no, he can't be dying. No, this is science fiction. We will figure this out. Like, I was in total denial. Are you fucking kidding me? That this <laughs> cannot be happening. And I know it's a 13-year-old boy. I know I use that word. But I like the fact that it does lend itself as, you know, at the funeral and launching the coffin onto Genesis. Like, okay, all right. I was almost irritated by the whole thing because they fooled you the Star Trek, um, I have written down who wrote the screenplay, let me get back to that later, but but they fooled you because toward the end, it's like, oh, good, they're kicking the crap out of Khan, we're looking good here, we're going to get a lot of uh, corny jokes from the crew members, it's going to be you know, liked at the end, and a little music, and, <laughs> and we're going to laugh, and it's going to be good, but then something went wrong, and Khan, with his unrelentless passion and just determination, he had one more strike back. I'm like, no, wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Were the credits. I thought this was good. This was good. So that <laughs> was really hard. It was, I agree, really hard. And if I can just indulge you for another moment, I want to give you my favorite memory of seeing this movie. I've seen it several times. Mm-hmm. I saw it on, like, Betamax, DVD, CDs, um, mm-hmm. in the theater live. But Rihanna and I went and saw it at a midnight showing. Mm-hmm. When was that? About six, seven years ago? Maybe yeah, it was even I was longer still in that.
3: high school. So okay, it was so yeah, a long time so it was even longer ahead. than
1: that, and that was so much fun. It was playing downtown. I think at the Esquire. The Esquire it
3: was, it was, in Denver
2: is what my
1: memory is. If any of you live in Denver, shout out to the Esquire. Yeah. And it was so fun. You know, midnight showing, so the crowd got kind of into it. You it was know,
0: incredible.
1: And it was great, and when Kirk yelled "con," the crowd was yelling "con," <laughs> and it was just a great. It was like one of those things where it was like when I used to watch the Rocky Hart the picture show. When I was a high school kid, just going to that and that experience, that live, seeing it, you know, it's a classic. And the Star Trekies came out. It was awesome. And so that's my best memory of seeing the movie. And, uh, Rhianna, that was so much fun.
3: Yeah, Dad, I'm so glad you brought that up because... That is absolutely my favorite memory of this movie as well. And I think seeing it on the big screen was like a dream come true to me because to this day this is still my favorite Star Trek film. And so I think the fact that like we got to see it on the big screen as it was intended was just beyond special. And I just I love that they do that at theaters like the Esquire where they are able to sort of bring back these old classic films and let them have another moment on the big screen and yeah just getting to see all your favorite characters on the big screen like that it's just incredible and of course seeing it with you made it even better so that was so fun
1: yeah that was wonderful that really was Sorry, Ashton, you were I'm so
3: jealous. I know.
2: I'm so jealous because I was in college, and you guys didn't pay for a flight for me to come home to see this. But I was actually thinking this tonight. I'm so lucky that we have a 60-inch flat screen that we got for free, and so watching it is, is close to the theater, but it's just not the same experience. And. I would do anything to see it on a theater. I definitely have to start like checking Fandango to see when they're doing those replays. But. Yeah.
3: All right. Well, wow. shall we dive into this masterpiece? Let's Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah.
3: So I first want to note that I love that this movie, the first glimpse we see after, of course, the cre- like the opening credits and everything is Spock's face. I love that he is sort of the pinnacle and the start of this film and not all in the way I expected. I thought, you know, going into this movie, because it seems though as though we're getting action right away. I watched this movie with my girlfriend. It's the first time she's ever seen it. And she was like, whoa we're starting out like there's already Klingons they're already at the border like what is who is this lady who's captain this lady Vulcan you know so there's all this stuff that's thrown at you right away and I just think it's brilliant to start out this movie with the Kobayashi Maru test like I don't think they could have started it in any better way what do you guys think
2: I want to hijack this conversation for a second to give you a little bit of background information yeah thank you about the events that led to this movie being made because As I mentioned last week, pretty much every Star Trek movie did not have the intention of continuing to make any more. So Mm. they thought, okay, the motion picture, that's the only movie because it flopped in theaters. It made no money. And unfortunately, Gene Roddenberry was fully blamed for how poorly the motion picture did in theaters. A large part of that was during the motion picture, Roddenberry was constantly asking for rewrites to be done on the script because he wanted it to be closer to his interpretation and his own screenplay of the movie, which Rihanna and I discussed so thoroughly last week. And he did not like what Robert Wise was doing. So Paramount just saw him as the problem and thought the solution was to just completely remove him. And so he is given the title of executive producer and he is also credited of course with being the creator of star trek and that's really all the influence that he had on this movie so they brought in nicholas meyer there was a lot of talk about what they wanted the script to be about but all the people they brought in were people who had never seen star trek before and Crazy. nicholas meyer mm-hmm. had never seen an episode and so he decided oops i gotta quickly catch up on what i've missed and so he started re-watching this series and the episode Space Seed specifically really stuck out to him because he thought that Khan was an awesome villain. And he said, okay, let's do it. Let's bring back this guy. Let's see if Ricardo Montepon's available. And so the script was born. And luckily, they brought out a huge Star Trek nerd to write the screenplay, Jack B. Swords, along with Harv Bennett to write the story. So now we have Wrath of Khan, which is great. And then this last portion, so I'm just going to add on, of course, the actor side of this, is that Leonard Nimoy did not want to come back to do more Star Trek. And he, I think, was worried about being typecasted, and he was just done and thought that there was nothing else that he could do as the character of Spock. And so he refused to come on, and Paramount really had to cut their budget for this movie, too. And there's an amazing quote that one of the executives said when he was talking to Harv Bennett. He said, can you make it in less than 45 fucking million? dollars?" <laughs> is a direct quote from Charles Bluehorn. But anyway, so they're making this movie on a budget. Nimoy does not want to include himself in this movie and so he entered into his contract I will only do a second Star Trek movie if I am killed by the end of it and so initially they said okay we'll kill Spock in the first third of the movie and the rest of the movie will not involve him and then when they brought on the different writers and also the fact that Spock was going to die leaked into the public, which also, Mm. how do you have leaks before the
3: internet? I just, it baffles me. Yeah, what, who, which, which, uh, person who worked on this movie spilled the tea? Yeah, like, someone
2: had drinks with the wrong friend.
1: (laughs) Maybe, maybe Entertainment Tonight got the scoop. Yeah. (laughs) That's back (laughs) in the 80s, that's how things got leaked.
2: Honestly, I guess that's how, yeah, and so... It was leaked, and so fans knew that Spock was going to die, and so I brought you all back around. This is why we had the Kobayashi Maru scene in the beginning of this movie, because it was to fake out audiences that had heard Spock was going to die. Okay, great. Yeah, he dies in the first five minutes of the movie, but you know, obviously we see Nimoy, he continues to be in Star Trek for the rest of the franchise and it's because after filming was totally done, he said I'm getting cold feet, I changed my mind I do want to stay in for the next movie and also he said because he wanted to direct the next movie so ah. that's a, another bucket of worms another can of worms um, <laughs> to get into for next week but and so those last five minutes of The Wrath of Khan are completely done after, they like they sent the cast home, except Leonard Nimoy Forrest Kelly. They did the remember scene and then they did all those animated shots of Spock's casket landing on the Genesis planet. So there you go. That's why Kobayashi Maru and this great and awesome entrance into the movie.
1: That's so interesting too because I thought it was cool toward the beginning of the movie after the first scene with all that. Kirk says to Spock, aren't you dead?
0: Mm -hmm. And I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, I thought that was great. Like, What a great foreshadowing. Spoiler Mm -hmm. alert to people who have not seen this spock dies spock
3: dies spoiler alert
1: all right (laughs) yep to anyone i mean i cannot believe that 39 years later you should know what happened yeah um real quick i just want to interject it's interesting too because it's kind of surprising to me i know we're not talking about the motion picture but it's linked a little bit that it didn't succeed better i think it was screenplay driven and it was more roddenberry's vision because robert weiss is a fucking badass Mm -hmm. robert weiss directed in my opinion, one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, The Day the Earth Stood Still.
0: Ooh, if you have not seen yeah. The Day
1: the Earth Stood Still, you need to, after this amazing podcast, you need to go <laughs> rent that on Voodoo or wherever you uh, rent your, your movies and check that out. It um, is amazing. It's really, really good. And by the way, he directed the Sentinel Music and Wet Side story also. Yeah. So I know those are different genres, but this guy, you know, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy can direct. I think he had some material that was like, okay. What do you want me to do with this? So it's just interesting because Robert Wise is a you know hall of fame director. You know I'm, I'm more of a I'm a sports guy. I don't think there was a hall of fame for directors fame. but he but he would be in it 100%. So I think that's fascinating. He just couldn't make that work.
0: Yeah, and
2: Nicholas Meyer yeah. is relatively unknown and so I feel like right. Paramount mm-hmm. was saying literally just do whatever you can like we have to salvage at least like money wise what we have and so i think it's really interesting and and well and also you know like i mentioned they're under a budget so they can't pay probably for someone like Robert Weiss to come back or anyone else who's really known and so i think it's interesting that they just take a chance on Nicholas Meyer and i think it really succeeds like it's amazing that it's like i mentioned all these people who don't know Star Trek and yet, they're able to really come up with a great story character-wise and drama-wise.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, Nicholas Meyer directed a gigantic TV movie called The Day After. And that was a year previous to uh, The Wrath of the coming out. And it was a huge, huge viewed movie. And it was basically mm. Armageddon kind of thing. And the network really... I think, you can fact check me on this. I think it was ABC. It doesn't really matter. There were only three big networks back then. But they really promoted it. It was like the day after. What would happen after the day after a nuclear war? And so it was watched by like 70 million people. So he that was his big directorial... Really his first thing that people knew him for. So I really believe he got this gig based on that because it was a huge success. And so I think they took a chance on him. And interesting, as I was just doing some research on Nicholas Meyer, he graduated the University of Iowa. And he thought it was really cool that Kirk's character is from Iowa. And he said that was really cool. And he talked to Shatner about it. And Shatner chose Iowa because he just really liked Iowa, and he'd been there, and his family had been there. So they had they had a connection and kind of a bond there early on, and, and I think they had a report going. And, you know, it just works. It, it just works. Okay, if I were to, as a movie historian, see, who would I choose as a director? Robert fucking Weiss, who has directed two <laughs> Academy Award-winning best movies, yeah. or Nicholas Meyer. Yeah. I would say Robert Weiss. Are you kidding? Absolutely. But it, it didn't work for what they were trying to do, but Nicholas Meyer, it worked for this particular movie. It just worked.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really cool that Shatner had that Iowa connection or the Kirk, the Kirk Iowa, Nicholas Meyer connection. That's so cool. I think it helped sort of make the movie feel smoother. And I think also the fact that we had a character who was coming back from the original series and Ricardo Montalbán who was coming back from the original series. I think mm-hmm. that that maybe made this movie feel smoother than the motion picture because we weren't so much in this state of like, flux like things are changing everything's new and they're all wearing weird uniforms no now we're in this movie where we know Khan if you're a big original series fan and even if you're not a lot of people would probably know Mercado Montalban during that time and so I feel like that probably put a lot of the cast members at ease to be back together for this epic movie also this movie
2: I just want to note takes place in the Star Trek universe five years after the motion picture mm. and so okay. I think that kind of of explains why they're not talking about like remember last week when Vger almost destroyed the Earth? <laughs> you know? Like yeah. they don't even mention V'ger. There's no mention of Decker or Ilea no or Spock and the colon art. Like it's almost like that movie didn't even happen. There's no connection mm. to it other than we talked about this last week. Kirk is starting to feel old and he's mm-hmm. an admiral and he should never have taken promotion. He should have stayed as a captain. This is a theme that we're gonna see that's series long. And Mm -hmm. I love that they grabbed that from the motion picture and really ran with it. And I think that Shatner and Kirk have one of the best performances in any of the movies. We get to see so many new elements of Kirk that we had never seen before in the Mm -hmm. original series. We get to see the range that William Shatner has as Kirk. Yeah, and it's it's lovely to see. I think that this is the movie that we should have had. You know, like this type of introduction where all the crew is together and they're all hanging out and they're seemingly in a dangerous situation. And that's how the movie starts. It's just such a
1: contrast from the motion picture. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to jump in real quick if that's okay. Yeah. So I kind of, I don't want to be um, too over dramatic about this, but I think this movie... I don't want to say saved the Star Trek franchise. I don't want to say that. I don't, I don't think that. It, it may be a little bit. I would um, say saved. I would definitely <laughs> say that,
0: yeah. <laughs> because I think,
1: though, I think it would have it would have continued on you know, and still mm-hmm. kind of went on. But I think what this movie did is it brought it to a whole nother generation and it also. This is a love letter to the fans. There are times that just it was I'm just so happy cuz the characters are together and they're in that familiar scene and, you know cuz they're they're in the enterprise and the connections it just like oh this is this is what this is what I miss and they're a little bit older now and you're a little bit older now as the fan and it's just there's such a connection there and I mean it was so so brilliant so brilliant to as Rihanna says to take a character from the original series, from a story that happened 15 years ago, which I thought was interesting because it was 15 years from Space Seed to the movie. It was 15 years in the screenplay. That, that was very well done. That's and cool. And to make that connection. So then old fans, the fans of the original series are like, oh, yeah, this is home for me. You're bringing a story that I'm so familiar with. And then new fans could easily easily cling on to that. Cling on, get it? Yeah. Um, sorry, that was uh, like a bad joke Good <laughs> there. Uh, But Mike could really get into that and easily follow that. And of course, Ricardo Montalbán just absolutely blew it out of the water. But yeah. Yeah,
3: I would love to hear your Ricardo Montalbán knowledge, Dad. <laughs> yes, Hey, okay, here I'm we ready. go. ready. I'm ready. All right,
1: yeah. all right you asked for it. Here it is. OK, Ricardo Montalbán <laughs> was the perfect, perfect choice to play Khan. He absolutely was such a great person to cast in this, because of course she had the, had the connection as a former character and an enemy, and he checks all the boxes there. In like the mid-70s to like the early 80s, there was a show on called Fantasy Island. And it was a huge, huge show because The Love Boat came on before that. And The Love Boat was very cheesy. And it was a very much a family show. And But, you know... Thirty million eyeballs would would watch The Love Boat each week. That's so
2: many eyeballs. The, yeah. like,
1: I, I, guess, I guess it would be sixty million eyeballs. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, which is huge ratings. But remember, that was there was only three networks back then, and there wasn't in the internet. There wasn't any other competition. So when you had a, it be, people just flooded to that, I think it was on Saturday nights because you know I was actually alive then, and and so Fantasy Island came on right after that, and they just took that wave of ratings from The Love Boat, and it was this show where Ricardo Montalban was Mister and he was this charismatic, friendly, nice guy. He was just so loving. And they would come to this island where they would live out their fantasies. And they they would, you know, it was like Hawaii, basically. They would get off the plane, they'd get lazy And and he would always tell his staff, smiles everyone, smiles everyone. (laughs) And so he was pretty beloved as that character. And that's what a lot of people just knew him as. So then you put him in this role where if you're not a fan of the original series and have no connection, and if you were a fan of the original series, but just, you know, didn't catch these episodes because you know you couldn't just get them on Voodoo or any whatever. You had to catch them on reruns. Let's say you didn't never saw that, you would know that he was part of that connection of or the original series, and then you would see this Mr. Wark. And I've told the girls this story when I saw this movie in the theater, my friend goes. Wait a minute, is that Mr. Work? <laughs> <laughs> That's Mr. Wark. Oh my God. And it was really a brilliant casting because it's like, whoa, what's he doing? And you know, I love his outfit. You know, it's like Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. muscled muscled up. You know, yeah. he, yes. he muscled, muscled
1: up, the, you know, he's got the pecs raging. It just fits so well. And it's brilliant casting because again, it's you know, it's Mr. Work basically wanting to just absolutely, absolutely Fucking destroy Kirk. Yeah. All his passion and every single bone in his body, he just wanted to crush him. And he is such a good actor. And I love the fact he got his chance to really show his true acting skills in this. I think he was just so brilliant. And not that you ever, you don't want him to succeed. You know, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but I admired him. I admired the fact that, you know what? It would fucking suck if someone exiled you not that he didn't deserve it but you know mm-hmm. kind of piss you off you know it's like and now you get your chance to come back and you know just the way he kind of is i remember you that, that's yeah. kind of his big thing mm-hmm. you i don't remember so much you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of his thing like you know i remember you and i'm gonna fuck you up mm-hmm. and i just like the fact that he is a very uh, worthy opponent and yes. it's kind of it's kind of fun. It's like, you know in Star Trek, they're going to get into some deep shit and then figure it out. And yeah. it's going to be awesome. But you're like, this is going to be challenging here, I right? I'm looking forward to this journey. I can't wait. All the crew's together. The family's back. And now we're ready to go out on a mission. It's basically taking an episode that you loved in the original series and making it into a two-hour episode with a great villain as Khan. Well, so, and I yeah. think
2: that's something that's so important that is a key difference between tv shows and movies is that bringing a story to the big screen you want to have life or death stakes and star trek is a show that constantly deals with life or death stakes all the time and so the only way that like this could be like truly dramatically satisfying is bringing a plot device like the Genesis device into the story and then also having this extreme sacrifice of Spock at the end Mm -hmm. and so I totally agree with you like it's bringing a enemy that they barely escaped from if you go back and rewatch I almost said I almost called it seaweed (laughs) 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 if you go back and watch the episode space seed you will see that they just barely were able to get control of the ship back from khan and it was only because he didn't know the technology well enough because he had been stuck in his cryo chamber for 200 years and so now you set him on a planet and the trajectory of his whole life has been about i'm on this planet because of one person Mm -hmm. and dad i totally agree with you so yeah, once he sees Checkoff, Chekhov and the whole crew of the Reliant thinks that this is City Alpha 6, but it's actually City Alpha 5, where they were marooned, and right. City Alpha 6 exploded six months after they were stranded. And so... That's crazy. So what? a little bit of criticism, no offense, to Checkoff and Captain Tyrell, because why didn't they count the planets in yeah. the system?
3: <laughs> I was wondering this too. Like, how do you not know or log that a whole planet has exploded when you're in the system? I mean, I guess it's been years, so there wouldn't be space debris. I was thinking that, yeah, that there probably wasn't any debris after 15 years, but but there's still a, yeah. a smaller number of planets. <laughs> yeah,
1: they were pretty laissez-faire, weren't they? I mean, it seems like yeah. that was kind of part of their attitude, kind of like, yeah, we're just gonna stroll on here and just chilling, just kind of checking this out. I don't think for a minute there was a thought in their mind that there would be any. Trouble, so I think that's part of it too. But yes, yeah, that's a good point.
2: I also just want to note that Ricardo Montalban is sixty-two years old in this movie. What? There are rumors like people have always thought that he's wearing a chest plate. But, I mean, I always try to look to see, is that his real chest? <laughs> and I, I think it is. I think he was just a man, like an actor, who was in incredibly yes. good shape. He took good care mm-hmm. of his body, and he wanted mm-hmm. to show it off. And yeah. I also just think it's so cool because so many cameos that happened in the original series of Star Trek were just actors who were trying to get their big break. I mean, especially in episodes of The Twilight Zone, we get to see William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, yeah,
1: um,
2: James, George Takei, George Takei Doohan, they all cameo. on the Twilight Zone, trying to get their big break into TV. And so it's cool that someone like Ricardo Montapland just happened to blow up anyway with Fantasy Island. And then he is known now. I mean, he's, you know, since passed, but this is what he's known for is Khan. Yeah. Yeah, just...
1: Yep, 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 Khan and Wark. Endless
2: shout outs to his memory.
3: Well, and I've just got to laugh because this whole scene with Khan and Chekhov is just hilarious to me because... Chekhov was not even a character in Space Seed. Walter Kenning was not a part of the cast yet when Space Seed aired. And so I'm just wondering why they made this choice. Why couldn't it have been Sulu who was first officer? Because we know Sulu later will command the Excelsior. We know that he is someone who is looking to sort of level up in command or in Starfleet. And so I just thought it was really funny that literally Khan looks at Chekhov and says, I never forget a face. And I'm like, you don't know this face. (laughs) You don't know Chekhov. That always sort of cracks me up that Chekhov is the person they sent. But I don't know, do you guys think it was supposed to be for like, they couldn't keep Sulu away from the Enterprise because he is sort of the helmsman? Like, could they have sent I don't, I don't know who else they would have sent to be a checkoff replacement who was in Space Seed, though. So maybe it was the only choice they had.
1: So here is what I always kind of go to. In my science fiction mind, the episode we saw was just a snippet of what really happened. So mm. I really truly believe in my mind, in my Star Trek mind, that he had met him before just because we didn't... The episode we saw didn't see him in there. Oh, he's met him before because he's part of the crew and he's seen him before. So... I, you know, that's just me. So I just kind of put it together. I mean, he was with the crew at the time. Yeah. He just, he just didn't happen to have that encounter, but I believe he did, just it was off camera, if that yeah, makes any yeah. sense. You oh know, my gosh. Yeah.
2: So, you know, Walter Kendig, who plays Off, has been asked this question at conventions before, and wow. his answer is, actually, it's a joke amongst the cast, that Chekhov was in the bathroom for that episode, and Khan happened to run into him in the bathroom and said, "Oh, you're out of my way! I'm using this urinal." You know,
1: I never forget the face. I
2: never in forget the a face exactly. So that's Walter Kennedy's response because, mm-hmm. and this is also just showing you that no one had seen Star Trek. You know, they just assumed that Chekhov was in every season of the original series, which he wasn't. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm forgiving of this, and I think Walter Kennedy just is so good in that scene and. One of my favorite moments is when he sees that it's Botany Bay. And then you see yes. his face yeah. is like, oh my <laughs> fucking God. <laughs> yeah. And his like, damn, is so convincing and so real that it forces me to start panicking too. Because I'm like, oh my God, we don't see Chekhov freak out that much. And he's yeah. freaking out.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he did meet Khan. He knows who Khan is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk about that bug? Oh um, I mean, I thought that was so so awesome because mm-hmm. it's so creepy and scary and, and freaky. And it really kind of brings it to, okay, this is serious stuff. You know what it reminded me of? It was very Alien-esque, if you've seen the original Alien with Ridley Mm -hmm. Scott. Again, they're lending a lot from other science fiction movies. I mean, I have a whole bunch of notes on that. But that was, to me, very, very reminiscent of Alien and that whole dynamic there. And I thought it was done really well. And that was Khan saying, here I am. And I got a little trick up my sleeve. And you're thinking this could be just one of many things that he's gonna do to fuck up <laughs> the Star Trek family. And I didn't like that. And don't mess yeah. up, <laughs> don't mess up my family, you know? So Absolutely. I thought that was I thought that was, ugh, ugh, freaks me out.
0: Well,
3: yeah. Dad, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I felt the same way in this scene with the bug because it felt very sci fi horror and they did it so well that I felt that acute when I see the bug going into their ears and even when I see him like grabbing it to grab out the little bugs babies and even the bug is like annoyed that its babies are getting taken also I think it's even more diabolical and so on brand for con that these are the same creatures that killed his wife who we know from spacey to be marlene uh, marlene who ran away with Khan, we know her like she was literally an enterprise crew member and so we know that she was killed we know that 20 other crew members were killed by this one bug and it seems so small and harmless when it's just a tiny baby but how he describes it as he's putting the bugs in the helmet and he says this wraps around your cerebral cortex and it first makes <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) suggestible and then it drives you insane. And so I'm, like, seeing this future for Chekhov and freaking out because Chekhov, to me, is always, like, the baby of the group. Like, he needs to be protected at all costs. (laughs) Even though
2: he's now a 40-year-old Starfleet First Officer, he's the baby. Yeah, he's still the youngest.
3: (laughs) Like, he's still easily the youngest of all of the crew. And even, like, later as we see them interact with him, they're all like, easy, Pav, we've got you. And I'm like, yeah,
1: because he's the baby. (laughs) He's he's a teddy bear. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
3: and so, like, it's even worse worse that it's Chekhov because Chekhov is never getting a break in these movies. He is getting electrocuted, (laughs) he is getting shot at, like it makes it even worse that it's like my son who is getting injured and you know that he can be manipulated by Khan and everything and it's just a way for Khan to sort of also get back at these bugs too, you know, through his own little revenge schemes. I was actually wondering
2: why do you think Khan would keep... Because then, you know, he's describing this This bug killed my wife, it killed all my crew. But now, he says, we now keep them as pets. And so I'm wondering, why would he keep them as pets? Why do you okay. think?
1: Okay, I have a theory. Yes. This. So a couple of things about the bugs in that scene. So he wants to keep his enemies close. Mm. I think that's kind of the mindset that he's always had. And I think in the back of his mind, you know, you never know when this could come in handy. And guess what? It just it just came in handy, and I think that is such an important scene because, again, if you're new to the Star Trek universe, which it's funny, I think there were people that are fans of the Star Trek universe mm-hmm. because of this movie. I mean, that's when it maybe mm-hmm. that was the genesis of their of their <laughs> yeah. fandom. Um, so to me, it's like, okay, who is this guy? And he's like, let me introduce myself to you, and then let me get this bug out, and let me, I mean, let me <laughs> wait, fuck wait, with wait. your. You know. Sorry,
3: sorry, my cat is screaming.
1: Um, so, oh, that's cute. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm telling you, I really think it's so great because it's almost like maybe the fans that don't know him, now you're going to know who Khan is. Like right now, I'm going I'm to kind of give you a little taste of who I am and how fucking angry I am about what you did to me. So let me just give you a little sample. This is just a little sample of what's what's to come and I thought it was really done well and it just ooh, I'm like, Oh my god Because you picture yourself and then like you said it's Chekhov. It's like no don't do that to Checky. Yeah. What are you doing? Don't mess with him. Come on. And no one even knows he's there. Brianna, what do you think I about really,
3: that? I really, really like that. I think that's a very good point of keeping the enemies closer. And I also think that it's part of his power dynamic and part of how he can feel powerful in a situation that is powerless. Because he has been trapped in this world for 15 years. He's been trapped on a desolate world for mm-hmm. 14 years and whatever six months and so he has learned to survive and he's learned that the best way to do this is to control what you can and to utilize it when it's necessary and so i think similarly to how he sort of domineered the 90s in the eugenics wars was like he said i used to be a prince and we learn in spacey that he was one of the greatest leaders during the eugenics wars. He only fled when he realized he was losing. I think this is a way for him to grasp on to what power he can get.
2: Yes, I totally agree. And I also think it's about him being able to dominate the creature that killed his wife. And he mm. said, "This I had no mm, power over true. you before, but now I do. And I control your entire life.
3: And whatever you do, it's because I command it. I like Yeah. That. Ashley, that's so true. I mean, he's yeah. like stripping this this creature of its children, you know, yeah. to use as a weapon. And so that is very diabolical. Even, like, this creature, obviously, it's not intending to be this horrible creature that controls and kills people. It's just that's how it survives on this planet, you know? Yes. And so it's just sort of a product of its environment. And therefore, so has to be Khan, you know?
1: A uh, Tyrell, I really respect the fact that he said, I just can't, I will not portray Kirk and I will not portray my commission and it's pretty amazing what he did but I just wish
3: we had gotten more time with him. You know, I feel like this movie does not give us enough time for our first black captain. Right. Like, are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Right. This is the first yes. time we're seeing a person of color in the captain's chair, and then they immediately get taken over and, like, get no time. True. And so it just frustrates me because I really want to know more about Captain Terrell. I would love to see a little, like, spin-off or a short trek about the adventures of First Officer Chekhov and Captain Terrell, you know? Like, <laughs> right. where's that series? Yeah, But, um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I feel like he does have a really interesting arc, and I'm really, I respect him so much because I think in my other watches where I'm not taking notes religiously and just watching Mm -hmm. it, I'm thinking more like, okay, he's just a side character who I know is going to die. And that's it right. and that's like a shame because then now when i think of him as more of this like developed character i think what a sacrifice he did while he yes. was under control to end up phasering himself and killing himself instead of killing kirk like that is an incredible yeah. it, incredible yeah. sacrifice
1: it might be the bravest thing anyone did in that movie i mean you can argue that i mean yeah i mean besides Spock. all right well there is that okay yeah. Yeah. Maybe the second brightest thing anyone did in the movie. I don't know. I mean, that's a great point. I agree. I want more. I want Mm -hmm. more of Paul Winfield. Give me more Paul Winfield. Yeah,
2: come on, Paul. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I I really liked how Chekhov was talking about him too because Chekhov clearly really respects him and really thinks he's a good captain because when Kirk and crew a little bit later in the movie finally get on regular one and they find Chekhov is in a locker Mm. stuffed away, Chekhov is saying he's describing to Kirk and company what happened and what con did to everybody, and he's saying the captain was strong, the captain was trying so hard to resist, and he did a great job. Like, Chekhov has nothing but good things to say, you know? (laughs) I really like tyrell and feel exactly as you both do like man let's pour one out for <laughs> right <laughs> pour one out yeah. for him
3: yeah seriously totally. i'm
2: just so excited to talk about mccoy and kirk and the scene where they drink romulan ale together on the birthday uh, like let's talk yes. about kirk's oh, birthday yes. right, well, yeah the whole yes. birthday
1: thing yeah it
2: was
3: so great i just want to say that this is a star trek trope that they have brilliantly grandfathered into other star trek series as far Mm -hmm. as it goes for kirk's birthday way down in the movie series we'll talk about this in the alternate movies by jj abrams how kirk's birthday he goes through a similar struggle of realizing his purpose i feel like kirk kind of goes through a crisis every time he has a birthday particularly after he took the admiral position because as we talked about last week his admiral position was coerced like he was kind of coerced into becoming an admiral by starfleet because they wanted him as this mantelpiece and not out there risking his life where their great starfleet symbol could die and so kirk has been in a position where he's miserable and it just is so fascinating to me because we see how miserable he is in this gorgeous, gorgeous apartment overlooking San Francisco Bay. He's got all of his trinkets on there. He's really made it his home but you can tell he's unhappy. You know this just from seeing Kirk. And I think, of course, McCoy is the best person to be with Kirk on his birthday because he knows, like you said, Dad, every single in and out of Kirk. He knows every sort of psychological problem he's dealing with. He knows all of Kirk's past and everything. And so I think it helps a lot that McCoy can sort of be there with alcohol and with just like discussion to talk through the trials that Kirk's facing just sort of battling age and battling Starfleet High Command and the fact that like he has gotten this admiral position.
1: Yes, we need this as fans as again, kind of almost like, you know, refurbishing the entire franchise, Star Trek franchise with this movie, launching it back out again. We need this because first of all, everyone just think right now about that person, that friend that's been with you forever, that friend that knows you better than anyone else. Shout out to Paul O'Brien. That's you know, mm-hmm. that's that's my guy. And he knows me. He's known me since I was, you know, as in middle school. And so we can all picture that person. And so you identify with that with McGoy and Kirk. You know, what a brilliant way to to bring all our heroes together. This is what we need. Like we'll get to the intense con stuff in a minute. You know, we will. And we we know we have an issue to deal with here and poor Chekhov and you know, and I get that. <laughs> But we need like a little side, like we need some time to bond with our family that we have not really, you know, honestly seen in a while, right? So it's like giving you a chance to kind of get reconnected with them on an interpersonal level. It's really smart, and what a brilliant way. With Kirk's birthday, to, to do that in different ways that different characters express themselves, like Spock was, you know, awkward with it as you would expect, and there were a couple scenes where I think it was really really awesome, where Kirk was like lit up in the background, like like the light mm-hmm. was like really, you know, because he's our kind of our hero, you know, and so yeah. even the lighting kind of did all of that, and it just it really personalized it, and I needed that. Then that scene with McCoy is just so great, and we all can relate to that, right? I mean, we all can. Again, think about that friend that you've had for so long, or you know, could be friends. But you can just really picture yourself in there. I don't know, just that connection. I was, I felt like, okay, I'm so invested now, and I'm, and I'm in there, and so now I'm ready. Now I'm ready for our adventure. Let's, let's do this. We got this. That's how.
2: Absolutely, I, it. I totally agree, and it's so important to do for old fans and new. So then they get a a sense of what these types of relationships are. And I love how it shows the two different interactions between Spock and McCoy back-to-back. Because there's such a different connection that goes on when it's the trio together versus Kirk and Spock and then Kirk and McCoy. Like, Mm -hmm. they all have totally different interactions. And so I love also that they both ended up giving Kirk kind of old-fashioned gifts Spock gives him a paper copy of and isn't it the Tale of Two Cities Charles Dickens it was the best yeah, of times. Was it, times. Was it was the worst of, of times. Worst of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then yeah. he's like, message Spock. Um, <laughs> which is nothing, so nothing of import,
3: Captain. Except, of course, happy birthday. <laughs> Surely. The best of times. <laughs> well,
2: well done. Sorry, man. I have a lot of this movie memorized. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. But so then, of course, Kirk can't really read it. And so then, he's got his other bestie coming in clutch, giving him the glasses. And because Kirk is allergic to... Kirk is allergic, um, kind of <laughs> rhymes, sorry. Kirk is allergic to the medicine that McCoy would normally prescribe people his age, triglycium two or something, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so he gives him glasses. And I think this fits Kirk's personality so well because Kirk, it's showing him in an admiral position where he's starting to become a fossil and the way that he is a captain is starting to go out of style. And he's surrounded by everything else that's also going out of style and so it's just yes. a, it's a great way to kind of showcase him in this moment and say oh right here's where kirk is at like poor guy <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> no i totally agree god i totally agree i love the scenes where he is trying to read something and he'll put on his glasses mm-hmm. and it, yeah. i mean th- that's just such a subtle thing but it's like you know what you have some compassion for him He's getting older now. He's not that brash guy with that little, you know, orange shirt fighting an alien on, on, the, on the, you know, on the planet. He's getting older now. And guess what? Again, as viewers, we're getting older. So identifying with that, I agree. I love that touch. was one scene where he was, he, you know, he couldn't didn't have his glasses, so he's moving the the print back and forth. It reminds me when yeah. I'm at restaurants and I and I'll bring my glasses uh-huh. with me. Now that I'm getting a, getting a, you know a little bit older now, I have to have those glasses. And I just it's so human. Right, it's so, and again, mm-hmm. I love the fact I've always loved this about Star Trek. But they take the time to really have the fans get to know the characters really well, interpersonally. Yes. It's the really first show that I've ever seen a science fiction show that really lets you get into the psyche of the characters and just get to know them as people. And again, I agree, Ashlyn. Such a subtle thing, but I but I loved it.
3: Yeah, and there's something else that's so important about the scene, particularly with McCoy, I think, is that it reminds me of the original pilot of Star Trek, The Cage, with Christopher Pike and his doctor. And there's a quote that says, there are things you'll tell your bartender that you would never tell your doctor. Mm -hmm. And so McCoy falls into this role perfectly. And we talk about this a lot with McCoy particularly, and his relationship with Kirk, but I think through alcohol and through sort of that, like, hey, I got (laughs) some Romulan ale from across the (laughs) neutral zone here. Let's drink to your birthday. That sort of loosens Kirk up enough to be able to really talk to Bones about what he's feeling. And I think that that is just so interesting because Kirk is sometimes a difficult man to open up about his true feelings. He's got a lot of bravado. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of outward sort of masks that he put on. He's got the captain's mask. He's got the admiral mask now. And those layers are getting harder and harder to peel away but with his two best friends they're very easy to peel away I mean you see him just completely relax around Bach and McCoy and that is just so special to me and I think that that is something that's so important about Kirk and like you were saying dad about just the relationships that they're building together is the fact that they're all so relaxed around each other and i absolutely love when kirk is talking to spock in spock's quarters about command and he's saying these things like oh spock i don't want to step on your toes Mm -hmm. you can stay in command of the enterprise while we go on this training exercise and spock says no as a training officer i'd be fine being captain but i think that you were the best man to captain this ship if we shall be checking out what's wrong with the genesis device and all of that He says, you forget, Jim, that I am Vulcan and therefore have no ego to bruise, you know, and so he's reminding him, hey, like, (laughs) I'm not going to be like Decker, who's really mad that you stole my captaincy right out from under (laughs) me. Because Spock has never, ever wanted to be captain. He has always wanted the position of science officer and possibly first officer you know that's where he thrives best and his captaincy roles i think are wonderful for these trainees and i think that he is a very great mentor particularly to savik but kirk is really who you need in the center helm in that chair during a crisis like this
2: yes okay i have two things i just so agree with you and as usual you are saying what i'm thinking rihanna um (laughs) i just feel like spock's passion, because Vulcans live such long lives and they are blessed. Spock has multiple careers through Starfleet, you know, like he's Mm -hmm. first officer, he's on the Enterprise. He is now in a position where he gets to teach. And I think that's where he's just like flourishing right now. Kirk is stuck doing paperwork and Spock is finding his own next frontier through teaching these young cadets. And I really especially get the sense of that when Kirk is coming on board to do this, like, inspection, essentially, and then a a training mission. And so when they're leaving space dock, Spock is sitting in the captain's chair, and he says, Mr. Savick, would you like to take us out? Mm -hmm. And I really get the sense, because this is, I mean, from Savick's perspective, this is a big deal, because not only is historic Spock there as her mentor, letting her take the captaincy, but also Kirk, like admiral james t kirk is there to watch this and the in the enterprise and like the best ship ever and so this is a lot of pressure on savik but this is such a spock move to say not only do i trust you but i want to show you off and i want to show off my crew because they represent not only like their own hard work but my hard work and my passion that i put into them and so i just love seeing that spock was just like okay crew like show him what i taught you (laughs) yes
1: and
3: mccoy goes to kirk you need a sedative.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, McCoy! The one-liners are just classic with him.
3: Brilliant! I was
1: actually oh having God.
3: flashbacks to
2: you teaching me how to drive, Dad.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, I rather not have those flashbacks.
0: Oh,
3: I think you needed a sedative for those days. Yeah, yeah I
1: did. But, honey, you're a great driver now. So. True. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Uh, oh, my God, I want to talk about SAVIC. I, I have yes. so, so much to talk about SAVIC. I'll, I'll lead it off, and we can, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take the show over. Uh, it'll be the Duros yes. brother next week. Okay. So, um, <laughs> well, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so I just find the whole dynamic with SAVIC fascinating. First of all, I do think this is Star Trek's attempt to be a little bit woke in the early 80s trying to trying i mean i know it's very slow it always <laughs> is with with progress with women it always is it's always too mm-hmm. slow but i think that they're at least trying to advance the idea of women being in leadership and we have carol who again mm-hmm. she's Woo-woo! absolutely one of my heroes in this movie there is no doubt about it in those scenes with carol i know i'm supposed to talk about salvik but i'll go back <laughs> yeah. um mm-hmm. there's no doubt in those scenes she's in charge she's in charge i mean, charge. I mean it's she has such a great command as mm-hmm. an actress, like, whoa, you know what? The camera goes to her. She is in command because she's the most competent, and that's her project. And Savick, of course, it's a totally different deal. Savick, I think it's fascinating because, by the way, did you guys see? Um, I didn't know this, actually. This is something I was kind of like, damn it, I didn't know this. It said introducing Kirstie, Allis, yeah, her Kirstie first Alley. Yeah, Kirstie Alley from yes, Ch- Cheers, um, right? Yeah, yeah. So, her, yeah, Cheers is probably her most well-known thing this is a role that's kind of you know given her sort of a niche following but i think it's interesting that this is her debut role and she is trying to balance so many things she's trying to balance being new she's trying to balance being a vulcan she's trying to balance being a woman and Mm -hmm. doing all those things but when you have lots of hats it's like you're getting put in a box in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i think the reason why that she's so, I don't know if I want to use the word frigid, but so focused on making sure that she follows all of the codes and commands of Starfleet and all of the rules, it's because she wants to be perceived as competent. She doesn't want to go outside a little bit of the box because she wants to show, as a woman, I can do this, and it's sad that she has to prove herself, because she's a woman, she has to, you know, work harder. To prove that she's confident. And that's welcome to life. That's unfortunate women have dealt with that forever. So to me, it's fascinating how Kirk just, Kirk loves to tweak her so much. He loves to get under her skin. And she is just like, you know, dude, stop fucking bothering me. I am right now trying, you don't understand, you are not... A Vulcan woman, you are not, Kirk. So don't right. come at me with that. It's like she's—I so, she's so frustrated because it's like, yes, okay, you're you know this rebel, you know this egomaniac rebel that doesn't do it by the book. Well, easy for you to do that as mm-hmm. a white guy, you know, in your role. And I could just see some of the times where she's just seething. It's like she can't say anything because you know he's Kirk, but her role is so difficult. And I kind of feel like it was really cute how Spock can talk to her. He's like, oh, man, another Vulcan on board. And yeah. I can kind of communicate with her. And I get this in, in this little this little sense of, do you think he has a little crush on her? I kind of think he kind of does. I, I, I don't know. Like a little one. Like he's not going to, he's very professional and doesn't want to, but I think just, I think just, he's just like, this is nice. And, you know, she's kind of cute. And I could be off base there, but those are my thoughts. I think you're
2: picking up vibes that Nicholas Meyer is trying to give off, Dad. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if you think about *Search for Spock* in the next movie, mm-hmm. they do get it on. I forgot
1: mm-hmm. all about. Oh my God, that's so funny! I forgot. Yeah, all about. they do get yeah. it on, and so okay, I go.
2: personally don't get those vibes, but I do think that. Spock really admires her and really sees himself in her because, I mean, exactly like you said, she's a Vulcan woman. To my knowledge, she is the second Vulcan ever to enter Starfleet. And the first is Spock. And so, of course, he can really help her out, you know, with that perspective. (laughs) But it's just nice to see that Spock has her back. And I also just want to mention that just since I have grown so much since the first time seeing this movie, like literally I was in middle school, (laughs) like being a 12 year old watching this. I really hated Savick when I saw this movie because Mm -hmm. I felt like she was trying to replace Spock and she was trying to be the Vulcan in this movie. That was so cool. And I just didn't even care about her. At all, but now that I'm older and the more I've seen this movie, I've just come to really love savik and I also think that it's hard to play Vulcan because you have to have that little bit of smile behind the like blank face. Nimoy, of course, is masterful at being a Vulcan, and you always know what he's feeling, even if it's not on his face. And I think Kirstie Alley does a really good job of portraying a Vulcan in this movie because she just seems really genuine every time she talks. And also, she's very bookish. She reminds me of Hermione, actually, where she's quoting regulation at all times. And honestly, like if she had been in the captain position when Kirk said, oh, don't quote regulation at me, this is when they're having the first face-off. So they go to meet the Reliant because Carol Marcus contacted Kirk. First of all and said why are you shutting down the genesis project why are you confiscating our stuff who gave the order and kirk there's so much interference they can't communicate so kirk says oh she's in danger so he goes after her to regular one meets the reliant in space they're not communicating at this point Their shields are down and Mm -hmm. savage is saying um captain if you can't establish contact she says, Admiral, if you can't establish contact with the other ship, you have to assume that they are hostile and you have to put your shields up. And Kirk is like, um, honey, I've been around the block a couple of times. I, yeah, think, I think it's, it's going to be okay. Stock.
3: Yeah, I think it's Spock who interjects for Kirk and says that, like, the Admiral is very aware of, of this regulation. But it turns out she's exactly
2: right, and I mm-hmm. thought it was so satisfying at the end of the scene when the Enterprise gets its ass kicked. McCoy says, are you okay, or something, and Kirk is like, yeah, I'm fine, I just got caught with my britches down. And mm-hmm. he says, Mr. Savick, you go on, keep quoting regulation. <laughs> yes.
3: Yes. Well, yeah. Yes. I'm going to go on a little rant about Savick too because I love Please. this and Ashlyn, I really agree. I also very much dislike Savick when we were watching this as kids and I think it partially comes from the fact that I did feel like he, she was replacing Spock. I think there's this sort of inherent competition that is supposed to happen between women and between Vulcans in this scenario. I was feeling like I had to compete for my affection for the Vulcans in this story. And so I just really didn't like how she was full Vulcan and so she was like different from Spock. And so I think now when I'm watching this film, I see the power that she brings to this film and she brings to each of these characters is so important because like Ashlyn said, she is probably the first full vulcan to enter starfleet and spock of course as we know is half vulcan and that in and of itself was very scandalous on Vulcan when he turned down the science academy position. He chose Starfleet against his father's wishes and rebelled essentially against Vulcan tradition and so we see someone else who maybe it's more normalized because of Spock but there's still probably a hint of rebellion that Savik had to go through in order to join Starfleet because Starfleet is a predominantly human-run organization. Of course it has so many other species and Involved, but the Federation's home planet is Earth, you know, and so that speaks a lot to what you're gonna see on these starships And how the human to alien ratio is going to be very scaled in the human direction And so I think for Savik, she is navigating like you said dad a bunch of different Circumstances at once and honestly, I was getting really fucking pissed off at Kirk at some of these scenes because There are times where they're in the turbo lift, and he literally, all he can say to her is, did you change your hair? I'm like, are you serious? You would never ask Spock that. You would never ask a male crew member that. But because she's female, and because she's different than you, and because she's, like, this new entity, ooh, let's talk about her hair. I don't know what else to talk about.
1: Plus, he's Kirk. At least he's consistent. Yes, he's he's consistent. But McCoy
2: says it, too. So... Well, I don't true. know. Yep. Uh, see, I yep. thought it was trying to set up and remind the audience and, or introduce them that Kirk is a, you know, a he boy. gets around. He's a playboy mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. that's exactly yeah. what this is leading to is that his mm-hmm. actions from the past actually yes. have consequences. Created David. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I him, think. Yeah. yeah. And so him making that comment and McCoy agreeing, which I was like, Oh no, but I thought who's <laughs> been holding up the damn elevator was a great line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was so
3: good. It oh, was
1: great. <laughs> it's very,
3: <laughs> (laughs) interesting to watch all of the men interact with Savik besides Spock, because I think we've talked about this, but I think that Spock does have this rapport with her. And honestly, I wonder sometimes if he envies the fact that she's full Vulcan, because for years now, Spock has warred with his human half. And we see Spock, I think, at his most at peace with himself in this film, we see that he is finally come to a position in his life where he is accepting both his human half and his Vulcan half. And so I don't think there's a lot of envy there, but I do wonder that he's like, okay, well, at least I paved the way for Vulcans to join Starfleet. But I am envious that she gets to be this full, realized Vulcan without the sort of stigma that comes of being a half-Vulcan, half-human.
1: Oh, I think that's a great point. You know, there's... Well, I mean, the thing with Spock is you think that he's pretty good in his skin with being half-human, half-Vulcan. But remember, the scene toward the end, I mean, the dramatic scene is... McCoy says, you can't go in there. Um, you know, yeah. no human can go in there. He says, remember, I'm, did he say I'm not human or... Because he said something to the fact that I'm not human. Yeah. Remember, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm, M- I'm a Vulcan. I think it's what he said. Yeah. Not acknowledging that, well, yeah, yes, yes, sir, you are a Vulcan. However, mm-hmm. you're also human. <laughs> but he did not yeah. acknowledge that, and that's what got him. So it's, it's interesting to me. Yes, he's accepting, but still, I think that's a great point. I think there's some envy with her because... She's full Vulcan and, you know, I think he, he definitely is jealous of that. I I, I would agree on that. Yeah.
2: Totally. And I also Absolutely. just have to note that I have never seen Rihanna more happy in her life than when she's talking about <laughs> Spock. Just like every time, every time we have a podcast that's about Spock or even just in her everyday life, her eyes just glow and she's just glowing with joy right now talking about her son.
3: Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I literally made a Spock phone background and that's who I get to look at every day so like of course
2: <laughs> not your
3: girlfriend but spock <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly
3: yeah oh it's just it's so interesting to think about savik because i do wonder if initially when leonard nimoy decided not to come back if she was supposed to be yes she was yeah she fucking
2: was nope. Brianna. this is exactly mm-hmm. what the plan was yep 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 and that's exactly
3: what they did in the motion picture when they were trying to decide if if Nimoy was coming back they added Uh, another Vulcan and then killed him off (laughs) see I mean so much of these
2: movies is shaped by Nimoy's decisions on whether to join (laughs) them or not (laughs) isn't that funny yeah oh my god absolutely I thought also just as a quick side note it's so great to see the strength of the trio of Kirk Spock and McCoy when we are watching them look at the video that Carol has sent or they're watching about the Genesis device and it's Carol Marcus right. explaining about her second son which is the Genesis device and yeah I love it because mm-hmm. as soon as Kirk says Carol Marcus's name and McCoy is like OMG, like <laughs> she is back because he knows right. like he's known Kirk for so long. It's like, dad, you were saying your bestie. Like if, yeah, if mm-hmm. one of your like exes, that was like a oh. crazy relationship came back into your life. Ooh. Only your bestie would be like, oh, oh I can name my some my right God. Now,
1: but yeah.
2: I will not do that. <laughs> I will not. But uh, oh yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, he freaks yeah. out. And then when her face appears on the screen, Spock too is like looking at Kirk, like Carol Marcus. And so yeah. I just. Just love mm-hmm. that they're all like, Oh my yeah, god, the course tea course it's is
1: here. Yeah, is there it's a, Kirk. not a woman that Kirk's, uh, you know, uh, had some uh, you know, had, has, has,
2: has, has had um, some space <laughs> seed encounters?
1: <yeah. laughs> Very good, actually. Yes, is there, is there a woman in space that he has yeah. not? I'd laugh and said, Of course, of course, Kirk had relations with uh, with Carol. of course, he did. I mean, you know, that, that's Kirk, yeah,
3: yeah, well, and. Can we talk a little bit about this relationship? Because Ashlyn and I, when we did our very first episode of this podcast in our pilot series, we talked about the fact that Gary Mitchell told Kirk that he steered him away from that blonde that he knew at the Academy. And so Ashlyn and I have wondered for years if this is Carol Marcus. Because I feel like the rest of Kirk's Flames... Our one night stands, our very fiery passion, like sexually, but not, you know, any sort of romantic passion. But I feel like with Carol, there's something deep going on there. And I think that, like, I mean, it's very evident when Kirk says to McCoy, You as a physician should know the danger of reopening old wounds. And so I think that there's gotta be something deeper. He says to Gary Mitchell in the pilot, I almost married her. And so I'm just so curious because Carol gets to talk a little bit about how. He had his interests, she had hers, you know, and that Starfleet versus her scientific career were pulling them in different directions and they were at different parts of their lives. But I'm just curious if you think this was maybe one of, I feel like this was maybe one of Kirk's most significant romantic relationships that he ever got close enough to building that family and building that life with her.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely is her. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. Yes. <laughs> I am convinced. And that's mm-hmm. a great point. And I've thought about that a little bit before, but I haven't really thought about it to the level when you just like, talked about it. I 100% think so. Mm-hmm. There is, I think there is that one person that you have such a deeper connection with. I think for Kirk, it was Carol. And I do believe that he's always wondered about her and him, and, you know, the son and everything else. And he's known it, you know, I, I, it seemed to me he knew that he had a son, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, on some levels, kind of shitty. It's like, you want to follow yeah. up with that? I mean, but you know. <laughs> right? But you kind of let go with that. Yes. In my opinion, absolutely. Yeah. That's
2: oh, you bring there. up some interesting points. So, I I have been convinced for years that Carol Marcus was the blonde reference in the pilot series. But actually, this watching that I just did made <laughs> me question it. Because mm. <laughs> Dad's like,
1: oh, God. here with <laughs> go the first Go with your first instinct. Actually, I I I taught you better than that. All
2: right, go ahead. Okay, well, I only think because they see that Khan is, like, tortured all the scientists on regular one. It's (laughs) awful. And so they see that the transporter's on. And so they just hop in the transporter. And they follow whoever escaped. And thank God, you know, McCoy was worried about being beamed into nowhere. But thank God they are beamed onto Carol Marcus's like underground tunnel that she has for the Genesis device where they were doing tests. Mm-hmm. So this is the scene where I'm talking about where they have finally a chance to talk one on one about their relationship. They send David and McCoy away. It's and Savick. it's really <laughs> yes. like tactful. but yeah. um and so what she says is... Because Kirk is like, oh my God, that's David, that's my son. He is just shaken from this. He clearly forgot about David. You know, yeah. he hasn't given him a second thought. And so Carol said, I didn't want you in my life. Essentially, she's asking Kirk, were we even together? Were we ever going to be? And David is talking about, remember that Boy Scout you used to hang around with? You know, and so this to me doesn't sound like. Kirk was going to marry her, you Mm -hmm. know? And so Mm -hmm. I could see maybe if he had, you know, she's pregnant, maybe that thought like went through his head. I mean, I, this is also 200 years in the future. And so Maybe they're, like, more woke about out-of-wedlock children. I don't know. I don't know what's the better solution, like, story-wise, if it was someone who Kirk was really passionate about or if it was just another random lady who mm-hmm. he was banging. It could be his Marion, you know, from Indiana Jones. Or yeah. I'm, I'm also fine if it was just, like, a random lady.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yes. Okay,
1: so I have thoughts on this from a guy's perspective. So Uh she's asking, were we ever going to be together? Because Uh she knows the kind of guy he is.
0: Uh Very
1: Uh tough for him to commit. From a guy's perspective, well, at least my perspective, which is I am a guy, is that in his mind, the love of his life. And he had many, many thoughts about that's the woman that I want to marry. That's the woman I want to be with. I know with who I am as a... Captain of a Starfleet command, I can see him thinking, but I can't bring her into that world, and so in his mind, that's the woman that he wanted to marry. So he'd tell people that, but he didn't really tell her. I know that seems hmm. that seems very.
2: Um, Actually, I could buy that, that from that, that, is, yeah, telling, that. Yeah, I could see that. yeah.
1: And so, but he never really expressed that to her. So she's like, so were we ever gonna like get together? Was this ever gonna happen? And in his mind, he wanted that to happen, but he couldn't pull the trigger because of his life, his lifestyle, and everything else that goes with Kirk, that wasn't going to happen. That's just my take, just from that perspective.
2: I also, I want to take a second to address a tweet I saw today that I thought would be really relevant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Stephen Colbert tweeted, and you might all know, or maybe not, that William Shatner is actually getting a chance to go into space as a 92-year-old man, and so he's going to (sighs) break the record for the oldest person to ever enter space. and i mean this is i mean this is kind of cool you know however you feel about william shatner this is this is cool for him i love bill i still
1: love bill whatever yeah Yeah.
2: and so this tweet from stephen colbert said i hope william shatner doesn't have unrealistic expectations of what space will be like and it shared a picture of kirk making out with a green girl um, (laughs) from the original series and so yeah just just to continue this trend of of Mm -hmm. kirk but anyway Dad, I love your perspective. And I I think that totally tracks for Kirk, too, because he's not someone who shares his emotions that easily. And I also think he knows that Carol is extremely headstrong and extremely independent. And so if she wants to have a baby on her own, he knows that she can. and. Yeah. She, that yep. she can do it on her own. And also, I don't think they have money in the future. And so I guess he can't really pay child support, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean,
0: true. That's true. I'll say
2: that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could have maybe, yep. like, written some letters, but... Yeah. Right. I do wonder
0: yeah.
3: what this century's birth control is like, because I feel like they could have easily... I don't a... think Kirk
2: was thinking about that. <laughs>
3: I feel like every other
2: character was. But like mm-hmm. we said, Kirk is old-fashioned, so...
3: Yeah, Kirk thinks a lot with his other parts. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. I also want to say that like, as we're talking about Carol, I love absolutely my favorite part (laughs) of Carol as a character is just the fact that when Kirk is seeing for the first time the Genesis device in the cave. She says, can I cook or can I? And I love that line Yes. because it completely subverts expectations of women. It It subverts sort of the like women in the kitchen, like doing the cooking. She is doing the scientific cooking and creating this incredible, incredible, powerful device. And like you said, dad, she is the main, she's the head of this. Yes. I love (laughs) it. It's yeah. so important to yes. the movie. I think that it's one of the most important lines, especially mm-hmm. for Carol as a character. And I am just, I lament so much that this is the only movie we get to see her. And this is the uh, only hey, circumstance that we get her. You know, I mean, barring Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a whole other thing, whole right. other universe. But this is the only time where we get to see B.B. Besh. Besh,
1: yeah. BV, yeah. Um, tell you what, their chemistry together is great. That scene where they sent everybody away... They, mm-hmm. they have great chemistry together. That was a great scene. It kind of ties it all together. And I was... And I made a note that said, you know, all the Kirk's chasing has caught up with him now. And, yeah. you know, and you got to kind of um, sow what you reap now. I mean, I really... Thought that was really cool that they put this in this movie. And you know what? He has some skeletons, you know, in his closet and here they are. But she is such a strong woman. She's like, I just want to let you know, this is how he's being impacted by you as his father. And he doesn't know, but I'm basically going to fucking tell him. So just kind of prepare for that. I liked it. It was very much a unspoken thing. Like, I'm going to let him know here pretty soon. Prep yourself, my friend. Mm -hmm. And just so you know.
2: I mm -hmm. don't get the sense that David knows until Spock dies or a little before yeah, because he's acting like he hates Mm -hmm. Kirk for most Mm -hmm. of this movie. And then at the end, he has that great scene, which I don't quite want to talk about yet, but yeah. Yeah.
3: I do wonder about David and I wonder if this is the right choice for Carol to hold back on telling David about Kirk. I think that in one circumstance, my brain is like, I think it was a good decision because David is already so hateful when it comes to Starfleet because of all of the red tape They had to go through all of the drama that Starfleet puts the scientists through in order to get right. the Genesis device to work. And then of course they have all of the reliant bullshit going on when they don't know that it's Khan mm-hmm. and they're just furious. They're like, they can't take Genesis away from us. But this just makes it so awkward that the first time Kirk ever meets David, they have an actual fist fight. Like that is not healthy. Like I wish oh, that they but had, it's known. had known. But it's so Kirk though. It's,
1: it's so cliche. It it's is like, yeah. yes, Another return to the original series. Let's have a cheesy true. fight. Oh, so I did like that. But I That's agree. True. Probably not the best way to... For um, mentally,
3: it, for David, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel like with David, there is a scene toward the end of the movie when he's on the bridge and he has this cardigan sweater kind of wrapped <laughs> around him. So, in, so in the early '80s, uh, yuppies were coming to more prevalence. And wait, and, I'm um, sorry.
2: What are yuppies? Yeah, I don't can really don't you
1: know? well, give us some context. Me, well, well, let me explain this exactly okay, a little bit too. Okay. This was purposely done because yuppies wasn't exactly a favorable thing in mainstream society. Yuppies were upper-income people, kind of entitled, kind of mm. like, look at me. You know, I, you know, I have my mm. Volvo back then or Subaru, and I'm better than you. And um, <laughs> and I'm gonna dress up, you know, better because I'm a little bit better than you. They were sort of a fashion thing, kind of. Mm. So they wore these sweaters, like, you know, over their necks, and uh, and so a lot of people loathed them. I hated them. I was like, get out of here. Get out of here, you yuppie fucker. I mean, I did not... <laughs>
0: I just you know, that
1: wasn't my theme. I mean my parents were kinda hippies and that wasn't my thing. And it was Wall Street, kind of a status thing, I'm a little bit better than you. I don't think accidentally done that that David's dressed in a very yuppie it was a yuppie uniform. I was like, Oh my god, that's a yuppie uniform. And I was like, That is very subtle, but he's in the background there. I'm like, so in case you might wanna start to like him, you're not going to that's maybe me overthinking it, but I don't think that that costume design was by accident. Cause that was a statement back in the early eighties with the yuppies. And, and again, it's one of those things where it's hard to explain. You had to almost had to, you know, live it. But in the eighties, yuppies were um, kind of these entitled bastards that thought they were better than you because they had a lot of money, and they flaunted that money around. That's my take. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure there are people out there listening that may have a different take, but that's kind of my take on it. I thought it was no accident that David had the yuppie uniform on toward mm. the end of the movie. And and so you sort of had separation with him, at least I did. That separated me from him a little bit. It's like, yeah, he still kind of feels like that he, he kind of had this arrogance about him anyway, and I know it's, it was coming from ignorance, but like, he's not gonna be a main character moving forward, my friends, no. Like, you know, almost like a distance. That was like a way to subtly put a little distance between you and David as a viewer. Yeah,
2: and I like that, uh, thank I you. I love your take. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't get that because I don't have like the, the same context as you, but I also felt that distance in a different okay. way. So for yeah. me, I felt it like, He didn't quite understand Starfleet the way that we understand Starfleet because all of his dealings with it have been so terrible. And actually, he was reminding me of a hippie. So there's this great, there's a great quote from David. And this is what made me think that he was actually like such a pacifist hippie, honestly, (laughs) is because he says that scientists have always been pawns to the military. Yes, I get that too. Yeah. And I think that that's just, just a great representation of humanity. I mean, mm-hmm. you think so much about like what happened in World War II with yep. the atom bomb. And I mean, yep. there's so many examples where scientists were forced to do things for the advancement of their country's power that was not necessarily like actually a good moral decision. And so I think that's what David thinks that Starfleet is. And so mm-hmm. I feel this alienization from him because I'm like, no, David, no. You, David.
3: <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. I I'm liking g- that journey for you, David.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, this makes me so happy because I don't think we've referenced Schitt's Creek yet on the podcast in a fun oh, yeah, year. Yeah, so there it is. So there oh, it is. You. Yeah. Nice. You, you, David, Starfleet, David. Is Starfleet is not a military complex. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, oh, so perfect. I... I Yeah, that was mostly what was frustrating me with David is that he didn't understand how awesome Kirk was. And he only has this perception of someone who's like a a jerk. And okay, Kirk Mm -hmm. can be a jerk, but mostly Mm -hmm. he's not. And right now he's going through this transition where he's not a jerk anymore, or rarely is a jerk. Anyway, right. that's that's right. just my David yeah. thoughts. And so I think it's so funny that, Dad, you're like, oh, he's this rich, uppity kid. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, but he's like all oh, peace and love, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I, I think he is. A, I, th- I just think that was purposely done to kind of I don't know. It was like, no, oh, not, I just, yeah, I that, yeah. like even though he probably wasn't that it's just that I was like, oh, boy, that costume, that yuppie costume to me was like very intentional I'm in sure. the 80s to, you know, just let, let's create some more distance with, with David. I have to talk about a quote that I just... Yes, yes this, please. This is why, I mean, McCoy is just my my, my favorite. Mm-hmm. So he just has a great way of relieving detention with mm-hmm. just some comedy at the perfect time and just with one of the best quotes of the whole movie. So Kirk and McCoy are, you know, right next to each other. They're about to be beamed onto the planet. So Spock says... Jim, be careful. So McCoy goes, we will. Like, <laughs> like,
0: like you don't even
1: notice I'm here. Like, yeah. oh, I just love what he did that. Like, thanks. We will. Yeah, it I mean, absolutely,
3: it just, that is such a throwback to the original series because there's so many times where Spock is going out to, like, endanger himself and he's <laughs> reciting all these regulations to McCoy and he goes, shut up, Spock, we're trying to save you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's and, so um, good. Uh, there, there's just some great little tidbits. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's a scene where where Sula got real sassy, um, <laughs> on, on, on the bridge. I mean, just like a little, like you know, Sula doesn't get much. You know, he doesn't get I too know. many lines. I know. poor Sulu. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the little comment he had on the bridge when you know we're, we're going to warp speed, and and I could not catch it. Did you guys catch the line? But it was just a quick little, like a kind of an eye roller, like you know thanks Sulu I like yeah no problem it was just really funny I and I I, yeah. I, I I couldn't quite get it but it was just like I love you Sulu I mean you're I mean you're the man I mean it was just so funny I mean
3: funny. it's just so funny yeah I love this because as I'm watching this movie with my girlfriend
1: mm-hmm. we
3: are seeing the scene where Spock is like okay uh, Mr. Savick please take us out of space dock and my girlfriend's like, "Is not Sulu doing all the work?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yes. absolutely." Okay, yes. okay, though I'm gonna defend Savic and
2: say that she has to know the order that everything mm-hmm. has to be done. Like she just can't be like Sulu yeah. go to warp five. Like she sure. has yeah. to tell Sulu how to prepare the ship, which mm-hmm. of course he knows how. But yeah. yeah, I was thinking that too. Like Sulu's the one doing it.
3: <laughs> right. Well, and just another hilarious Brianna quote for. Uh, For the mix, my girlfriend, literally when they are meeting um, the Reliant for the first time and no one's responding, she says, put your shields up, be a defensive driver. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was brilliant because like, yeah, they definitely should have been more weary. And I do love that Khan says in that moment, he says, ah, but we're all one big happy family here in the fleet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is a perfect opportunity. You know, we've talked so much about these great relationships All of our crew has with each other. But I also want to jump back to Khan for a minute because I think personally, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when Kirk is caught with his bridges down and he's Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do to stop Khan from completely destroying the ship. And this is, of course, the first time that Kirk sees that Khan is his rival and that Khan is the captain of the Reliant. I mean, it's just perfectly acted because mm-hmm. everyone is shocked everyone's like oh my yeah. god and also it just Holy so,
1: shit. Yeah. yeah and it
2: just <laughs> yeah. so happens that crew that kirk is with the crew like not the trainees but like his senior officers are the ones with him that have experienced con firsthand and i just think like that's so lucky you know that zulu right? and everyone already know you see Cod, you know exactly what you're dealing with. And Dad, thanks to your point earlier, the audience knows too because of the whole like crazy ear situation
3: <laughs> <Yes>. that, <laughs> that was right. going
2: on. So this is a, a true oh shit moment, which mm-hmm. I love. And I also love the way that Kirk acts so cool throughout the whole thing. And yep. he says to Spock, nod as if I'm giving orders. And, and Spock is like, oh yeah. Okay. like. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just really think that the dynamic interplay here between Kirk and Spock is at its finest because yep. they're essentially sharing a brain cell. Rihanna and I talk about that her and I share a brain cell yeah. where we just have one that goes back and forth between the two of us. And uh-huh. it makes our brains better because we're together.
0: <laughs> Kirk and <laughs> right. Spock
2: is a very similar situation because Kirk is saying oh he's telling Savick to complete these commands and she's like what the fuck is happening right now like I don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on and Spock is just nodding and he's like oh you're doing this code nice you know and and
0: he's just (laughs) he's completely on board he's
2: like oh this will be cool all right i'm here with you yeah and i i just love it like i never feel like yes there's so much tension in the scene and so much drama but i'm never really worried because kirk is so confident in the situation and spock is so on board with him that i'm like i can't wait to see what's gonna happen next
1: yeah, I agree, yeah. and I tell you what, thank you for bringing up this scene, because it's it's incredible, because I think it's also unbelievable that the reason why this works is because Khan, once again, being, again, ex off for yes. so long, forgot to reset the password! Yeah. It's yeah. like the same problem <laughs> came up again. That's like his Achilles' heel. So it, 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 mm-hmm. See, to me, so it points, true. It, this whole thing, this whole dynamic with Khan and Kirk points out a couple of Achilles hills he's not so good with the details that mm-hmm. is a huge thing with him and also also it's interesting to me because cuz Khan and I know we don't go too deep into Khan's world and what he deals with but Khan kind of has a Spock in Joaquin who I think is brilliant in this and he was uncredited this this, this actor uh, I looked it up. Um, uh, Justin Scott. He was he, uh, uncredited. He was he, he was mistakenly uncredited. He was really good. His yeah. side man, who by the way pulled him aside a couple of times, yes. was very rational with him and mm-hmm. says, "You don't need to do this." Even toward the end, you have Genesis. You have yeah. everything. So, where see to me, Kirk and Khan. At point, I think this is you know. I mean, it's pretty obvious. They're very similar in a lot of ways. They are yeah. so passionate, and they will do anything. I mean I know Khan uses people a lot more than Kirk did but I mean as far as their their passion and their vision they are so determined but where it separates out is that Kirk can be calm and he can listen to others and mm-hmm. take in that information and be rational about okay you know other people I understand that I am not the only one that has information I'm not you know I'm not a, I'm not a dictator where Khan, that's his Achilles' heel, where he won't yeah. listen to Joaquin, who, who, if he would have listened to Joaquin, I think he could have pulled this whole thing off. And Absolutely. I think it's fascinating, because that's really his Achilles' heel, is he's so lustful with revenge, it is what ends up getting him in the end. And I just think mm-hmm. it's fascinating. And with Kirk, you've seen times where Kirk has been so over the top, but he's had Spock there to kind of, calm him down or McCoy or he's had people around him and he has enough you know he has enough uh, foresight to understand that I need to listen to these people because if I don't listen to these people then I am going to destroy this ship I, I am I'm more this ship is bigger than me even though he has a big ego he still recognizes that Khan though he can't he's a little one dimensional in that way even though he's so complex in some ways that is what in the end gets him and I, I think it's just um, it's just brilliant
2: Dad, Spock yes. totally agrees with you. This, that's what Spock says. He yeah. says, Khan has shown a pattern of two-dimensional thinking.
3: Yes.
0: There you go. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yep. Thank you for saying this, because this is something that we touched upon in our villain series when we discussed Wrath of Khan, particularly, and Khan in his role as this sort of two-dimensional thinking and mm-hmm. I mentioned it then, but I have to say it again, that Khan is really enacting his sort of Shakespeare villain trope here. He yeah. is so hell-bent on revenge. He tells Joaquin, he tasks me, he tasks me and I must have him. Oh. You know, he is yeah. so passionate <laughs> about his hatred for Kirk because he's let it stew for 15 years. He has had oh. nothing else to think mm-hmm. about as his comrades die around him. But it's so exactly. ironic because as odd as the audience, we see that he is letting the rest of his crew die to this mission, to this obsession he has with Kirk and this rivalry that will never end. And so that's why, of course, nice. it's so important that he quotes Moby Dick at the end of this film because this is the obsession. You know, this is his white whale. Kirk is his white whale. And I think that there is this similarity between him and Kirk. And the real reason that Khan followed him into that nebula is because Kirk goaded him into it. He said to him, and I quote, he said, I'm laughing at your superior intellect. And that, of course, you know is going to get to Khan. You know that is the one thing that Khan cannot stand to hear, is anyone laughing at his superior intellect or to, make mockery of his incredible you know genetically enhanced brain and so i mean i think about this like khan has been he's been marooned for 15 years he marooned the um the the crew members on regular or on on the on the reliant yeah exactly he marooned them as sort of payback and a sort of you must feel the pain that I felt and so he is hellbent on enacting the same type of pain that he felt onto people that he seeks revenge for and so he does he tells Kirk that killing him is not enough he wants Kirk to feel his pain I mean it kind of it's very reminiscent of sort of a Moriarty and Sherlock type of dynamic Mm -hmm. where Moriarty wants to go further than just beating Sherlock he wants to finish him. Like, he wants to end him, you know? And Mm -hmm. so this is the sort of, like, obsession that builds within Khan, and that also builds within Kirk during this because I think both of them rely too much on their, like, both of them at some point in this movie get too cocky, and they get to a point where they think they're gonna win, and that is then their downfall. And we see it in different parts of the film, and so it's so interesting to see them have this back and forth.
2: I I think that The reason, one of the many reasons that I love this movie so much is that we get to see how Kirk plays chess with Khan. In Where No Man Has Gone Before, we see that they play 3D chess often together. And this is what is also giving me an inflated ego and inflated confidence in Kirk because I see that Kirk is playing Khan absolutely like a fiddle. Because Mm -hmm. not only does he have the technical knowledge about these Starfleet ships, and that's why he's able to get the code of the Reliant and put the shields down and fire upon him and essentially, like, really, really hurt the Reliant. But then also, he's able to play these mind games with him. And I think it just brings out such an impressive side of Kirk that he's able to do all of this at once. And he's also completely out of practice. He's been an admiral for... I mean, at least five years, and he's not been in the field for so long. But the fact that he can just turn this side of himself on and be exceptionally cunning is just really impressive to me. So I just, like, there's all these debates about who's the best captain, and I just, I love them all in such different ways. And this is a, a reason that I love Kirk so much, because he just throws it all out there, and he puts all of his hopes on the line because he's so confident in himself. And I truly, like, I was swept up in his solution to all of this. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yep, cool. It's all good. We're going to have a happy ending.
3: Yeah, yeah. especially with the nebula. There's always... I I love this Star Trek Mm -hmm. trope because there's always a convenient nebula that you can go and hide in to win Mm -hmm. the battle. Mm -hmm. And so I love this, that they are enacting this trope and that this is this perfect nebula where Fox says sauce for the goose or whatever weird thing he picked up from humans (laughs) that apparently means you know that like these two ships will be on the same level and on the so now it just comes down to wits like you said Ashlyn sorry my cat is having some zoomies so if you hear him in the background that's why
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. that that was me anyway
1: yeah to me it's just so fascinating the whole thing with chess that both of you by the way just absolutely brilliant insight i just really appreciate like i just really do just awesome um so yeah i mean you're right it's it, i love that i've never had not really thought of it that way the whole concept of it, it is kind of it, it is kind of like a chess match and it's um khan just doesn't have the patience for those details mm-hmm. that as a starfleet commander you need details are very important and where I think Savic is trying to learn, and she may be almost overdoing the details, <laughs> she is new to this, and she's just trying to learn, you know, so much that she doesn't have any 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 practical experience. But Kirk, which I I totally agree, Ashlyn, is he he will not accept what you know you know on the test. The whole he was the, the test weave its way through the entire you know, yes. the entire plot. Well, he will not accept. a a, a no-win scenario. He won't accept that. And we love that about him, right? We love Mm -hmm. that about him. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. I love that (laughs) about you, man. Because there have been times when I was like, oh, you're fucked. We're fucked. I mean, geez, we're fucked because it's my family. We're fucked. Like, there's no way. Like in the original TV series, I'm like, I can't believe it. But Kirk figures out, he's always, always, always thinking about possible scenarios and ways out to him. There's no, I mean, everything is outside the box. And you love that about him and and he's he's his endless passion to find that resolution where, you know, you get a captain that maybe doesn't have as much energy, it's like, you know what, the hell with this. I, I I I can't. I can't do this. We're just going to surrender. Because I love surrender camp a lot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to surrender. And it's like, no, I mean, that will not happen. I mean, they're not ever going to surrender. And I love when they tweet Kong with that. All right. You know, you're uh, her uh, we haven't even talked about yet. She said, you know what? We're, you know, we're asking for your surrender. And I was like, oh, that's, that's pissing off Kong so much. Yeah. Like surrender. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. She kept repeating it. I, oh mm-hmm. God, it was great. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, here, just keep saying it. Just keep telling them. keep asking them to surrender. Oh, God, it's just so pissed <laughs> off right now. And I really, really enjoyed that. I mean, I thought that was awesome. Um, can I uh, hijack this for a minute and yes. talk, about the, talk about the technology that was used? Yes. Uh, the, the thing that I love about Star Trek, well, the thing, there's like a thousand things, but one of the <laughs> things I love about it is that it's always been kind of ahead of its time with some of the technology things. So it was interesting. A couple of times I was like, oh, my God, uh, the eye scan scene when um, right, mm. right before Genesis, they had an eye scan. I'm like, this is 1982. We didn't have eye scans back then. I'm like, that is way ahead of its time. And then it was interesting. I was in one of the scenes. I'm like, Khan is wearing an Apple Watch. Oh, my God. Oh that's, that, 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 that's amazing. And look, the entire crew, they're wearing Apple Watches. This is, this is awesome. Because they were so much more advanced than anything they've ever worn before. I'm like, this is like so awesome badass. And yes. I thought that was so cool. I was like, again, Star Trek. Well, you know, some, you know? something that I
2: something that I love too, and we see it maybe more in Next Generation, but I think also in the original series is that a lot of the characters have pads and they're they're literally iPads. Yes. Yeah. yes. And that's yes. how they get all of their information is they look at the pad on the screen. And I mm-hmm. mean this was so yeah. long before iPads. And oh, I, I yeah. do think, like, I'm such a believer in Whatever we can imagine, we can create. And so Mm. I love that Star Trek is saying they're they're finding these solutions to problems we don't even know we have yet, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, we're
2: gonna have to start recycling and stop using less paper, so let's all have iPads. And (laughs) like I'm just gonna be James Bond and call you on my Apple Watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and I'm really glad you brought up technology because I have a sort of a question for both of you Mm -hmm. as i'm thinking about the genesis device because we're watching the proposal from carol and we're seeing that this is like you said dad this crazy retinal scan and there's so much restrictions that are even around the knowledge of Genesis and it's kind of a surprise that Spock doesn't even know because in my mind I assume Spock knows everything and so when he's like explain to me what Genesis is beyond the (laughs) biblical reference you know I'm like whoa (laughs) this is real you know and this is real Starfleet secrets and so I think I'm just wondering what you both think about Genesis as a concept because are you more on the side of McCoy that this is a weapon that can be utilized to demolish entire planets or are you more on the side of Spock slash Kirk who is more on this is a beautiful life creating device that can you know help to stop world hunger and those ty- type of big issues
1: you we to go? I, yeah, I will go, go. ahead um, yeah. okay I think That's a really, really great question. I think that it depends on your perspective of the world is what the answer is. So if Mm. you're a more, I I mean, I think in general, if you're a person that is more pessimist, more, a little more cynical, um, not that I'm judging because, you know, that's, I think that you're going to think absolutely this is completely going to be used as a weapon and it's going to be our downfall. But if you're more of an optimist and more of a person that just believes in the goodness of people and thinks, I think this could be like Carol. I mean, Carol. I think Carol's intent at 100 percent. Not just Carol. I want to. I want to give. Credit to all of the engineers that worked yeah. behind Carol, because you know those those behind the scenes people, man. I mean, I'm telling you, they never get the credit. So let's let, let's think of all the you know Carol's workers that worked tirelessly. Yeah, I this. mean, I think you know, he, including David. I think David really worked hard. Man, he's a passionate guy. Um, I, I think, though, so. Dad, you yeah. have to
2: call them what they are, and that's red
1: shirts.
0: Uh, oh, well I want to talk about.
1: I, well, I, well, I actually want to talk about that here in a second too. Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but but yes, well that's good no i so that's what i think is that i think it's really your your perspective of the world and i think the answer is it can be both but i think Mm. so my perspective is that it can be a a thing that can completely transform life completely the possibilities are endless i mean again spoiler alert if by some chance you haven't seen search for spock i mean hello it I mean, something that gave Spock life back—I'm fucking all in on. I mean, that's awesome. So, I mean, I right? mean, oh my God, you're talking Spock. Do you know how amazing Spock is, people? <laughs> I know that you do, but I mean, are, are you kidding? So, there we go. I mean, that's it. I mean, mic drop on that because it it brought Spock back. But I know that. But no, great. This is, that's a really great question. But I, that, that's my take. It kind of depends mm-hmm. on your perspective of the world.
3: See, I like that.
2: What do you think, Ash? I yep. am, like, kind of both. I understand what McCoy is saying because it is like playing God. It's like, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the prime directive, honestly. Like, uh, the prime directive is that you're never supposed to interfere with a newly developed species that doesn't know about space and space travel. Mm-hmm. But... I feel like interfering in a planet's natural development could have some really crazy consequences. And I just don't know how I feel about like completely changing the trajectory of a planet's like natural course. But that being said, yeah. we are destroying our planet earth right now. And Mm -hmm. I would just love Mm -hmm. to be able to terraform Mars instantly. And then we can all just move there and then we can destroy Mars, you know, and then we can just keep moving (laughs) on (laughs) and never, never learning our lesson, just continuing to move on. Um, and so I think that in a situation like Carol is in, and like Starfleet is in where they're trying to expand and they're trying to have colonists on new planets that are going to be hospitable, which so many aren't, that this would be absolutely revolutionary. And so, but also, I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, like, yeah, as cool as this is, we are really fucking with someone, and I don't know what the consequences will be, but we should just, like, be cautious. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's so funny, because I am, like... (laughs) I'm, this is perfect, because I think we all have very different viewpoints about Genesis, because I see it as slightly problematic more in McCoy's standpoint. I really like the quote when he says, god created or in mythology or like in our myths god created the um earth in six days genesis come along and boom we can create it for you in six minutes (laughs) you know and so he's very much like sassy about this and (laughs) i think like you both bring up really good points but my main concern with genesis is this fact that like we don't know the consequences that follow that and so even in the beginning when uh Chekhov and Terrell are looking for City Alpha uh City Alpha 6 or 5 mm-hmm. whatever and they're looking for this planet that has no life to see if they can you know launch Genesis onto this planet but even if they hadn't found Khan and his crew they wouldn't have known about the bugs who live there they wouldn't have known about those creatures whose life may be completely independent to that world and would have been completely annihilated had Genesis been launched into that planet. And so, of course, yeah, what's the scale of one bug that goes into your brain, you know, in the in the context of feeding a million people? Obviously, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the bug,
0: you know, like in this (laughs) circumstance.
3: (laughs) But I... I feel like there are a lot of unseen consequences like you said Ashlyn that are dangerous and can lead a very dangerous press can start a very dangerous precedent but on the same standpoint there are I mean this comes from me reading some extra Star Trek literature like Una McCormack's The Last Best Hope which is a, a Picard novel so I won't get into it but essentially the politics of starfleet colonies that are mostly human run they're still farming and getting all of their own food that way or i think about kirk's upbringing where he was on tarsus 4 which had a famine and then the ruler there kudos literally executed half of the population in order to get this famine under control. That is not good. Obviously Genesis could yeah. have really helped in this situation. And so I do think that yes, for Starfleet standpoint, this is a gold mine. This is something that of course they wanted to fund because it can provide infinite possibilities, but I'm concerned because of people like Khan and because I know there are people who mm-hmm. don't have starfleet's best interests who don't have the scientists best interests who see it as a weapon and who can see it as a way to further their own agenda or to create a literal weapon that can destroy an entire planet like you do not need a huge ass starship anymore you can just use genesis you know and so i think that this is the problem with it and something that I love that Spock, Kirk, and McCoy get to debate a little bit in this movie, and that we get to see. I'm kind of glad, in a way, that Genesis then explodes with Khan, and that it creates this beautiful world that, like, Spock can, you know, Spock can live on and grow and <laughs> come back to life, and all of this stuff. But because otherwise, I'd be worried about whose hands it could fall into. Because as we see, the longer we watch Star Trek, the longer we know that that Starfleet is not all sunshine and rainbows and there are different divisions or units of starfleet who could use this poorly or there are different people who could get their hands on it like khan he was it was so easy for him to get his hands on genesis and so i yeah i think it's just a slippery slope to something that could cause greater damage but it's such a beautiful brilliant idea so it's it's tough you know and i i really respect all the scientists who worked on it i
2: really wish we had our Lord and savior Gene Roddenberry here to talk about oh, wow. his thoughts about the Genesis device, because I feel like, I i mean, I know he didn't like this movie, but man, I just wish, I wish we could talk.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, um, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Both of you, of course. Um, Do you think it was by accident when they were, um, when the crew was beamed down, by the way, you got to get all the cliches in. And of course he got to beam the crew down. So yeah. when, when, when they were beamed down to a CD Alpha 5, was it a coincidence that all their uniforms were red? I mm-hmm. mean, I know that wasn't like bright red, but it was a, kind of a rusty red. I'm like, that is <laughs> fucking awesome. I mean, I don't know. I'm, to me, they, they were totally giving a shout out to the fans. Totally saying, we're all in red, don't worry, we're good. But Or do you think I'm just, I'm just overreading that? I, I thought that was awesome.
3: Yeah. I don't I mean, know, I'll just
1: put it out there.
3: I like that. And we've talked about sort of the uniform changes as yeah. these movies go on. We talked right. last week about the horrible beige atrocities that were the motion picture <laughs> <laughs> and how I really do yeah. like these new uniforms with mm-hmm. the little bib, even though it has this weird candy I don't know what that is, <laughs> whatever symbol on yeah, their shoulder. Yeah. Um, but this this sort of like deep maroon does set a different tone uh-huh. and does set a different sort of difference from the sort of uh, like technicolor primary colors that we had in the original series and it felt more bold and more brave in that way Mm -hmm. and like I do sort of like that yeah now it's not all red shirts going down the planet like technically we're all red shirts now
1: (laughs) right exactly exactly yeah Yeah. yeah
2: I do like these uniforms, and I feel like they're staples of the movie era. Like, if you see someone in this uniform, you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, this is from the movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that Starfleet just feels like every couple years they have to reinvent themselves and, like, give everybody (laughs) new uniforms. And, you know, Kirk is, like, reaching into his mailbox, and he's like, oh, my God, new uniform issued. (laughs) Like, Actually, it's funny because my husband has just joined the Air Force, which I talk about a lot, like, in the past year. And we have friends who are frustrated because their OCPs have changed. Like when they went to Mm. basic training, they got Mm. this uniform taken out of their paycheck. And then two years later, it's changed to something completely different. And then they have to pay for a brand new uniform. And like, that's a pain, you know? Mm. And so I'm just thinking about like poor Kirk and and Spock. (laughs) Spock has been through even more eras, you know, where he's like, oh my God, now another different uniform. Come on. On, so am it so to true. you to
1: tie a military uniform into Star Trek.
3: Yeah. I love
2: that. <laughs> oh,
1: hell yeah.
3: I mean, technically, uh, <laughs> Starfleet is a peacekeeping armada. So, yes, you know. yes.
0: <laughs>
2: ex- exactly. Right. Thank you, Pike. Pike.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay, oh so, you know, I've turned the last page of my notes. I think before we really get into the last half hour of this movie, I just want to open up the floor, and are there any scenes that we have missed? Um, that um, you feel really deeply have
1: connected with you or that you think are really important? Um, I have some things that are not very important, but I want to read them up. Okay, yeah, yeah let's I go. You know, yeah. I think <laughs> this
2: is the time before we dive deeply into the true tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right,
1: okay. A, a couple just quick little things. I thought it was really funny and very subtle when uh, when Kirk was on Genesis that he had an apple in his hand. Uh, <laughs> in an apple. Yes. I thought, I thought that was awesome. Yes. I thought that was, yeah, yeah. What? I, I never that noticed was, that. You know, I, I I like when they put those little things in to kind of, you know, just a little subtle. I'm like, that is fucking brilliant. I love That's that. That's
2: brilliant. Yeah. Dad, I never noticed that. You Thank know? you. Yeah. Oh, are yeah. you kidding me? Okay, so I, whenever I see a character eating an apple, I assume like the director is trying to make them seem kind of like a dick or I, I don't know, like a confident person, you know, you're like, right. oh, here I am, crunching into a pump, eating an apple. <laughs> but I, right. I completely missed the biblical reference. 100% so, over my head. Yeah. So thank you for saying yeah. that.
1: I thought it was so great. And just kind of nice little, you know, uh, homage there. I liked it. Uh, also, uh, we get our Vulcan pinch. And it was just nice that we got our Vulcan Pinch. You know, it came a little bit later, but basically, (laughs) you know, when Spock is, I love the Vulcan Pinch. Because with Spock, like, I am sick and like, okay, I'm going to try to logically reason with you. But if you don't listen, I am (laughs) going to just, I am going to fucking just, just, uh, just, uh, you know, give you a little nap. (laughs) Goodbye. McCoy, stop. I'm going to go in there. So, I mean, you want to do this the hard way? You want to do this the easy way? All right. Little Vulcan pinch. Gone. You're out. And I love that. And so, just want to put that in there. and also, I, we got to give love to our buddy Scotty. We haven't mentioned Scotty. Oh and my I, God! We Scotty. have not mentioned James doing it. I love that guy so much. And yes. the, the the cliche with 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 Scotty, you know, the uh, you know the, uh, the ship has been hit eight times and there's 25 holes, <laughs> Captain. I'm just trying to figure out the Earth's <laughs> order and, and we get all of that, and I love that. I mean, because yes. it, it's like I mean, it puts a smile on your face, even though even though right now they're under siege, and you know, I, like like you're thinking they'll be fine, but yeah. it's you know because. And it's just Scotty, in the, you know. And Scotty looks like I have to. I have a little note. He sort of looks like a stormtrooper in his outfit. Yeah. I was like, are, I was like, are they trying to get a little? I don't. They're not trying to give a shout out to Star Wars, I don't think. But he looks like a stormtrooper. I'm telling you, his outfit hilarious, yeah. right? I right. was like, I mean, so to me, Scotty loved a Scotty, and love and it, and it was like you 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 got to put him in there. He wasn't in there too much, uh, but but love James, and um, I thought that was I thought he was just. He was himself, and the and you know and the and we'll get to this. Well, maybe I should wait. Um, Preston, I want to talk a little about, about yes, Preston. Yes, we have to. Now, now, now should we wait to that last half an hour because I have let's a little talk about it. No, let's do some, it. All right, so a little bit about Preston. Um, he's a very minor character, but I think he's really interesting because Preston represents those those little guys that don't get much attention that do a lot of the grunt work, and he ends up, you know, of course, being one of the, one of the, uh, you know, workers Casualties,
2: that- Casualties, yeah. When of the, ca- mm-hmm. there you go,
1: That you know, that falls. And um, and I have a little connection to to, to Press and the, um, the actor, um, uh, uh, Ike Elselman, who who is, because when I first saw him, I'm like, oh my God, who is that? He is so familiar to me. What? Oh my God. And I was like, he looks like the little kid in Escape from Winch Mountain. And I, so I, I <laughs> paused the movie. And so let, let me give you a little background about Escape from Witch Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Escape from Witch Mountain kind of, in a weird way, changed my life. And let me explain why. Okay, so yeah. Escape from Witch Mountain, Return to Witch Mountain. Um, we're going to play pool at Witch Mountain. They had like 20 of them. But, <laughs> but but, when they came out, I was like, you know, I was you know, in my formative years, seven, eight years old. And it was these two kids, way before Harry Potter, they had magical powers. They had these psychic magical powers and I love these movies because the kids were in control the kids were in charge and they kind of knew what was going on and the idiot adults didn't quite understand what was going on and they were like we got this. Very Kind of similar to Harry Potter where, where I know that you know Harry Potter, of course, and we can get a whole thing. I don't want to go into Harry Potter mm-hmm. thing. That's a, mm-hmm. that. That's another podcast that YouTube yeah. probably will create in several years. But, <laughs> but 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 what I mean is I love those because it empowered kids. It's like no no we have something to offer. And also I had a really big crush on Kim Richards, his sister in the movie. Uh, she was like my first crush, Kim, mm. Kim Richards. Shout out to Kim Richards. Anyway, so he played the boy in Escape from Witch Mountain. And all those Wild. movies, and he was like to me like a staple growing up. You know, Disney. It was a street of Disney movies. So I was like, God, and so I was like, Yes, yes, that's who it is. So um, I just I thought that was so cool. That was him, and there was like a connection for me. And so, by the way, if you were you know if you were in the theater in 1982, you were like, Oh my God, that's the Escape from Witch Mountain guy. <laughs> and if and, and if you're like a teenager in your early 20s, there's a connection there, like a little one, but. But anyway, I just thought going back to his, to to Preston, he represented those those the, 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 those people that work on on the starship that don't get any. They're behind the scenes, right? But it takes a lot of people to make sure that ship is functioning. And I know I'm being very serious, but I really mean this. I'm it's passionate true. about this. I mean, without these people, you actually could not run the ship. I mean, as 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 a sports fan. A football team cannot run without without an offensive line. If you have a bad offensive line, you're not going to win football games. And and so if you don't have a really good good crew of people who can really work on the ship and, and those mechanics and do behind the scenes, guess what? You're not going to be able to to actually be able to have a functioning ship. And Preston represents those people. And so I was kind of touched. Yes. Maybe not like other people were, but I was touched by Preston. I just thought, oh God, you know, he gave his life. You know, he gave his service. It's almost like a military thing. He gave his life to the ship and to Starfleet. And I thought it was interesting. Obviously, he's not the big story, obviously. But it was something that I thought was significant for me. Yes. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll stop talking. No, about Dad,
2: I'm so I, glad you said this. Yeah. I am yeah. so happy because I wanted to talk about this scene and talk about Preston specifically. And Sweet. So... I, so, Dad, I'm wondering, how did you watch this movie when for this podcast? On Voodoo? Uh
1: Voodoo, yeah. I just took okay. Voodoo and just, yeah. Okay. Just, I, I, after the whole fam was in bed, I just put it on Voodoo. and nice. Okay.
2: Yeah. And then, Rihanna, yeah. did you watch it on I Paramount? I watched it on Paramount, yeah. Okay. I also watched it on Paramount. So, I just want to note that the edition that is on streaming services now is like not the director's cut of the movie. Mm. There is a different director's cut of Wrath of Khan mm. and that has a couple of di- a couple of additional scenes. <laughs> Those scenes Ooh. are Scotty introducing
3: Preston as his nephew.
2: Mm-hmm. what yes what
0: we actually oh, you, covered
1: oh, this you just blew my mind yes. yeah we um,
3: covered you, you, this briefly in our very
1: series. briefly yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember that i yeah. listen to most of those i don't remember that oh my god that's incredible yeah crazy so, right? so and yeah. if you
2: read the novelization wow. of the wrath of khan which is not by gene Roddenberry as the motion right. pictures was it's just i think it's like literally the screenplay mm-hmm. um or Ooh. something very similar. You, it's it's Scotty's nephew, and so that's why. Because it's very bizarre that Scotty would bring up like someone so injured to the bridge and like carrying yeah. him, you know. Yes. And then Scotty's like weeping over his body in sickbay. Okay,
1: thank mm-hmm. you. Because okay, so real quick, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yes. so yeah. I have been. This is something I wanted to ask the both of you, and and I can get your take on this. So at Spock's funeral, there are Scottish bagpipes playing. And I don't, and I think Preston is a part of the funeral, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Like he's, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I was like, that's interesting. That's that because that's Scotty to me. And maybe do you think there's like a possibility that Preston was a part of it and they played that, or am I just completely over?
0: I don't know.
3: I think because Preston's dead at this point, so yeah,
1: well, understand, but the funeral is that's what I'm saying. Do you yeah. think that that he was part of the funeral, or maybe like like I part of the know. service? This like is- you know, we have two fallen comrades and. And Preston, but then maybe the bagpipes, Scotty, requ- I mean, I'm probably going way yeah. deep in the woods, but Scotty maybe requested, can we play bagpipes for Preston? Because at a, at, a, at a Scottish funeral, I do know that is like, so can we play those for him? Because I was like, interesting, like, Fox yeah. funeral? Scottish bagpipes? I was like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like, I, like, honestly, I don't get that. I don't get it that. But maybe like... Preston was a part of the reason why. Maybe it's all tech. I, I don't know. I'm just asking. I, I, I don't is... know. I don't
2: yeah. know. No, I just Dad, love this. I've yeah. never thought about this weirdness. That yeah, uh-huh. bagpipes at Spock's funeral. I'm also cracking right? up. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> they absolutely so misplaced.
3: I think I, that Savick should have played the Vulcan lyre. There should have been something instead. Aura uh, should have yes. sang. Yeah. I think yeah. Scotty I,
1: pulled some strings and said, "Can we please honor my nephew as well?" And plays. But maybe he's not. Yeah. I don't know. I you I just, just like to that. know why there's Scottish bagpipes at at Spock's funeral. I,
3: <laughs> well, I still want to know that yeah and dad you bring up a good point because you're talking about sort of the lower deckers of these trainees and we have to remember that they're trainees and this is something that makes the scene with preston that much more devastating is that we also get introduced to preston from kirk when he's like hello uh what's your name you know to this this little ensign little cadet guy who's just like, I am Preston, sir, you know, and he's so excited to be there. And they all, all of these trainees are just expecting a tiny little jaunt into space where they can learn the controls, really get used to this. And so I think that it is an absolute shame that the the other fallen comrades and the other lower deckers do not get any sort of send off. And this is so common with Star Trek and something that pisses me off is that (laughs) these red shirts never get funerals like our main characters do these red shirts like mr rando who beamed down on the planet with kirk spock and mccoy and never came back he doesn't even get his body returned you know like there's things that like these injustices that lower decker's face that is so difficult and i think that that is something that probably scotty maybe went through and i really like your idea of he's like At least we can remember Preston in this way, you know? Or at least we can, like, yeah, because it seems ridiculous. Like, even. Is, there's no part like even Amanda, uh, who is Spock's mother, is not Scottish. Like she's, she doesn't have a <laughs> no. sca- heritage that relates to yeah, that. And it, so maybe yeah. they're like Scotty's a mu- musician. He might as well play Amazing Grace. Okay, I, I don't know.
2: But have we ever seen Scotty play any instruments no. besides right, the Enterprise? Right. Like no, no. And I, I think purely like this is another case of these writers not knowing anything about Star Trek, and so they're like, yeah, oh, this right. guy. His name is literally Scott. He's gotta be like Scottish. <laughs> Scottish means bagpipes, and I I feel like yeah. it was as easy as one plus one equals two. That could be, you yep. know? Yeah,
3: true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they thought too much about Preston, sadly. But in I, this moment, I actually was thinking that because
2: this rewatch, I also really felt like sorrow for all the trainees that we lost. Mm -hmm. And dad, you're totally right. I think even watching this edition, not knowing that it's Scotty's nephew. Yeah. yeah, It's so bizarre that he's like sobbing, but maybe he's just passionate about his crew. Um, But I think also it really leads you to remember that Khan is losing his like friends and family. And we are losing like the Starfleet is losing the best and brightest you know that were brought aboard because of the hope that they had to be the next crew on enterprise and i mean it's both it's sad it's it's tragic in both ways and it's just a reminder that like violence for violence sake is not the way that starfleet should be run and Mm -hmm. con acting this way is leading to tragedy after tragedy
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Well Boom. said. Yeah. Sad. Well said. Well, and, like, it, it, it it's always so interesting to me because this movie, as Dad, you mentioned, is so entrenched with the Kobayashi Maru theme and with the theme mm-hmm. of the no-win scenario, scenario—they're uh, yep. not believing in the no-win scenario, and the yep. fact that Kirk has never faced death. And this is on Savik's mind for the entire film. Even when they're in crisis, she's like, I have... Multiple questions <laughs> yes, still about yes, the Kobirashi Maru. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I love that she's so hung up on this. And understandably, yes. because especially for a Vulcan to try to take an unbeatable test is so illogical, you know? For her, she's been in the Vulcan Learning Center for years, studying all of this logic, and all, I'm sure, you know? And so yeah. to face a test that is unbeatable is got to be just completely baffling to her. And so I think that, like, of course, this is one of the brilliance of the movies, is this overarching theme of facing death. And I just think about Kirk and his five-year mission before in the original series, and how he lost crew members every week. You know, if we're yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. I think a red mm-hmm. shirt died every almost every mm-hmm. episode that we watched in the original series. And I mm-hmm. think that these nameless crew members went down and sacrificed their lives, mainly security and mainly in engineering because of the two most dangerous positions, I think, in Starfleet. And they were just never acknowledged. And so Kirk never faced death on a level that was so intimate to him and a level that he cared so much. Obviously, Kirk cares about his crew. Obviously, he cares about every single member, but not to the same extent that he cares about his bridge officers. And he cares about Spock and McCoy. And so I think that... This is a huge distinction and something that's a little bit depressing to me, you know, to think Mm -hmm. that they accuse Kirk a lot of saying you've never faced death. And I'm like, he faced death every week. He -hmm. was on his five-year mission, but... We don't see that in real time. We see that, of course, because the original series is not a linear series. It's not something that right. builds off of itself, and, you know, you see them growing. It's not like it has this overarching plot throughout the series. It's just these episodic moments in their five-year mission.
1: Yeah, and Savick does bring that up, I think, several times, that mm-hmm. Kirk doesn't really not face death. It's like, yeah, but I agree with you, but you don't know Kirk. Come on. I right. mean... I mean, you really don't know him at all. I mean, you're trying to psychoanalyze him, and mm-hmm. not really fair. And I do like her; I really do. I mean, I'm not yeah. trying, but it's just that she—it just points out more of just her, her naiveness, na- mm-hmm. na- naivety. 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 Yeah. Yeah. it's one of those words I can't say. But yeah, she's trying to like I have you figured out, but not not really. I mean, yes and no, but it's more complex than that. You really don't know him like I know him, okay? Yeah. That, that's so, the way okay, so get it. Yeah. now
2: you're understanding how I felt as a kid watching this movie. Yes, I was mm-hmm. like, "Why yes. are you getting up in the
0: biz?" Right, right.
2: I mean, come on. She's yeah. right. what are you doing
0: here? But, well, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah, but my I mean,
2: yeah. my like now watching this, I'm like, "Oh, Savic is just endlessly curious about mm-hmm. like yeah. she has such a zest for life and she wants and to be so, so good so, at her job too. She's so you. ambitious. Yeah, that's the Vulcan mm-hmm. yes. way." Exactly. Exactly. She's trying to level up. Yeah, Um, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Okay, well, my friends, I think it is time we go there. So I just... Something that I think is just so brilliant and really just compliments Leonard Nimoy as if we could ever compliment him anymore. Right. But So this whole time, you know, Kirk is fighting Khan. Khan has single-handedly killed all of his crewmates because yeah. he made a yeah. terrible decision to go into the nebula as you mentioned dad his first officer was like this is dumb
3: yes
1: don't do it <laughs> what are we doing here what, yeah what are, yeah what
2: are let's, we go, doing? let's go let's
3: yeah. go create our own
2: world yeah. with yeah. this genesis device
1: yeah you know what? we're good right now
0: Come on. Yeah.
2: yeah khan nebula. does not care khan only wants to catch his whale and so he goes into the nebula kirk is already at advantage because he's spent time in nebulas before and he knows how to operate without any sensors. Yep,
1: experience and
2: Khan keeps saying like, "Put up the shields," and his people are like, "We can't do that." We
1: tried to yeah, tell we, you. We, that we, it's yeah, we we going to fucking work. We tried to tell you. Yeah, right. And so yeah. I'm
2: like very enthralled with the situation going on between Kirk and Khan. And mm-hmm. finally, when Khan is destroyed, and he has this epic speech at the end. And Rihanna, do Mm. you want to say the speech from Moby Dick? Yeah, Yeah. I just I know we just talked about it in our villain series, but I just feel like one more time. Let
3: me pull up the whole Herman Merville quote, because it's absolutely beautiful. And it really Mm. encapsulates Khan in this moment and the Moby Dickness of this moment. (laughs) He says, to the last I grapple with thee, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee.
2: Oh. Oof. Yeah, oh. Oh. Just, oh, if that doesn't just, just get you. It no, gets you right it's in brilliant. the heart. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm so obsessed with everything going on screen. So then yeah. when I'm seeing that the engineering department on the enterprise is a nightmare, And everyone's Mm -hmm. freaking out. And Scotty is injured. Like, he's suffering from radiation poisoning. But Kirk is just thinking about Khan. And so Mm -hmm. he's getting these reports are flooding in on the bridge. And him and Uhura are talking. And they're like, oh my god, what are we going to do? Maybe if we try this, if we try that. And then Spock. All we see is that he is listening in to the reports that are coming in. He's listening to Kirk, and the camera is focused on his face. And then we see Kirk kind of start to fade into the foreground. But we hear all these damage reports. And we see Spock get up and we see him leave the bridge. Yep. And I just think mm-hmm. that yep. uh, you, every emotion mm. is on Nimoy's face, like as Spock, yep. even though there's no emotion on his face. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yep. he's right. such a master at portraying exactly mm-hmm. what he's thinking. And you know, Spock is yep. like, oh, okay. There's only one solution. And I have to go down there because yep. I'm not making Scotty go in there. Right. <laughs> I'm going yep. in. And he makes that decision and nothing could have changed his mind.
3: Yeah, and this has always been Spock's way. From day one that we see him in the original series, he is the person who will volunteer first to sacrifice or risk his own life in order to save the crew because it is quote the most logical and it is also mm-hmm. something that he has learned from kirk he has learned right. this loyalty and this devotion and he has seen kirk risk himself time and time again i was
1: just gonna say that mm-hmm. yep. yeah yeah
3: like i mean i think it's also a learned behavior because obviously vulcan's Vulcans follow the logic reasoning and the logical path, which, you know, I think obviously for this circumstance, it is very logical that Spock be the one, but there could be a hundred other crew members who could do the same thing, you know? And yes, maybe he's a little stronger boned and he's got a little more muscle or like he's got some sort of Vulcan prowess that he can use, but mostly it's just Spock being his self-sacrificial self, knowing that this is the best solution for the needs of the many. And it guts me. It guts me to see Spock continue this routine, but it also is so quintessentially Spock.
1: Mm -hmm. It is. It was great because there was a whole build-up to all this. Like, there was even, you know, talking about Uhura, when they were on Genesis, when... Spock was saying, hey, if we don't contact you in an hour, of course, that was code. Go ahead and leave without us. Uhura says, we will not leave without you because we're a family. Basically, she's saying. So there's like, so you have this all established. And so when he gets up, I agree, it's such a badass move. And what I liked about it, even though it was painful at the time, is that usually Kirk is the one that gets to be the martyr. He gets to try to, he's the one, I am going to be the one, like Raina, you just pointed this out. Spock doesn't even usually get the opportunity to do that. It's like usually Spock will like have noble intentions, but Kirk steps in. Nope. Yes. As Ashlyn points out, Kirk is a little bit busy right now dealing with fucking Khan. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, hey, I'm busy right now. I have to deal with this. And Spock just knows what to do. And it's just like it will not be stopped. Mm-hmm. Again, the Vulcan pinch, I got it right here. Mm-hmm. I am yep. going to use it if I need to. But I'm going in there. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I have to do. It's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And that was, or the one. That, or, or the, the one. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah, of the one. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just like, and you kept thinking, no, 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 no. no, Like, no, 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 this can't happen. It's like, I had that same reaction. I think it's interesting. I had the same reaction because I saw this in the theater right when it came out. I was so excited. I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater the night it came out. I'm looking at Voodoo now with 39 years later. I would still have that same reaction. Like don't don't do this. Yes, do this because yes, thank you for mm-hmm. doing this, but don't do this. Oh my god, no, yes. no, no. No, 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 no. This can't happen. No, no, you're Spock. You can't die. No, 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 no. And it was just like yeah. it's like because it was kind of in slow motion. It's like he can't be doing this. No. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Someone stop him, but he he will not be stopped. And he is going to do this because if it's the right thing to do. He knows that this is what he has to do, and he is so fucking focused. I mm-hmm. love how I mean, it's like you know, try to stop him right now. Good yeah. luck. I mean, I love that. I love his passion. Because even though he's Vulcan and he's more logical, there's that the human side to him still is passionate. He will not be stopped. And that's a human part. Sorry, yeah. Spock. But I'm telling you, that there's there's that human part of you, buddy, that you can't <laughs> stop. I do love that when McCoy tells him no human could go in there. And he says, I wanna remind you that I am not, hum- I'm no, not, he said, human. I'm not human. I'm not exactly. human. I thought that's yeah. that was so significant. Mm-hmm. It's like he's still, even at this time kind of denying. Yeah, but see, it, it's kind of complicated. You kind of see your mother is. I would love yeah. it. I, I would love it if McCoy says, "Okay, well, let me let me just explain something to you." Vulcan pinch. Goodbye. Like basically, <laughs> like like I will have a little conversation with you for maybe like ten seconds. But if you don't get on my way, it will yeah. be a Vulcan pinch. So how how do you want to do this? So anyway, I agree with you. He's just laser focused, and then. You're still in denial, still in denial. And you know, when he says, I shall be your friend, I'm like, oh, don't do this, I'm gonna cry. Like, really, you're gonna make me cry more? And just, because when Spock does that, when he's delivering, by the way, human emotions, that tears me up. Like, Spock, stop, Mm -hmm. stop, you're you're killing me, Smalls. Oh my God. So, (laughs) to to me, it was just, yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant choice to, to do that. It really was. By the way, when I left the theater, There was a huge buzz because it was Mm. back in the day where where people really packed movie theaters. So people were waiting outside. Never forget. So so this was (laughs) pre-COVID.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: This was just a little bit pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. And so I remember coming out and people were so excited and, and, you know, and of course I wanted to say, oh my God, Spock dies. But of course I wouldn't do that. Cause that's, yeah. that's a dick move, but it was like, there was buzz. People were talking like, like, can you believe that? Like it was mm-hmm. just so well done because it's like such a bold decision to do that to a central, maybe the most central character of the show, but the way that he went out with that nobility, brilliant.
2: Absolutely. Yes. See, yep. to me, what gets me is that every time I watch this movie, I am no less affected. Yeah. Than, like, it's right. its not right. like I mm-hmm. get ever used to Spock dying. Never. Never. And I think oh. the thing that always kills me is the visual of it, because Kirk <sighs> couldn't go into that room, because as Scotty no. says, he's going to flood the whole compartment. And so yeah. it would have been even more... Moving, if Kirk could like hold him in his arms, but he oh, can't even touch shit. him, no. you yeah. know, and Spock like hitting the glass because he's blind. Oh, like it, it breaks stop. you. I'm I know. I know. I'm, I'm like
3: tearing up right now. Ashley. I, know. I am too. I am too. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I
2: cried watching this. I always mm-hmm. cry watching this moment. Yeah. I mean, it's both sides. Shatner and Nimoy, oh. mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. They're yeah.
2: one and the same. It's a brilliant mm-hmm. scene, and especially just the visual mm-hmm. of, like, the Live Long and Prosper hand on the glass, mm-hmm. and Kirk is reaching up right. to touch it. It's oh. absolutely moving, and you feel, and especially because they go back and forth between the perspective. At first, they start with Spock's perspective when he's saying ship out of danger, And then it goes to Kirk and you hear just the different volumes even inside the chamber. It's totally silent except Spock. And then outside you hear like Mm -hmm. the engineering noises and everything of Mm -hmm. Kirk. And so you're just so zeroed in on this moment. It's so painful. And I just think it's, it's one of the most beautiful moments and it's, one of the best and most tragic moments of this entire series. Yeah. Something that just so impresses yes. me is that no matter how many times I watch it, this scene always gets me and it always will. Like, it has been no. and always yeah. shall be the saddest yeah. scene in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Yes. right? absolutely well and I think too it's so gorgeous that they do have Spock's first line once Kirk comes down is asking him if the ship is out of danger because we know Spock's priorities here we know that he would have absolutely been devastated if he was like nope the ship is about to explode you know like something (laughs) like that where Spock had to know that his sacrifice meant something and he had to know that he was leaving his friend's in a ship that was going to survive and in a place that would have saved them all and i think that that is so spock like of course that's what he asked for first the thing too Mm -hmm. that like devastates me ashlyn you were saying how like he's blinded at this point i mean we learn in the original series that vulcans have a third eyelid that can protect them from like certain types of blindness but we know that the body trauma that he faced from the radiation was so severe that that even, like, penetrated that third eyelid, and that, like, he is incapacitated in these different ways. And so I think it really shows how, in his last moments, Spock was truly stripped down to just desperation and love, you know? And, like, he was desperate to know that the ship was out of danger, and when he heard that, he just had to show Kirk his human side in that moment, and saying... His parting words, you know, about how I have been and always shall be your friend. And oh, he's that. telling oh. Kirk to live long and prosper. And as he's saying it, I'm using the Spock quote from Amok Time. I said, I shall do neither. <laughs> because I'm <Yeah>. like, listen, <laughs> I am not living long or prospering because this is terrible and I'm sad.
0: Fuck but off. like,
3: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so gorgeous and so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I just, I do love the parallels because in the beginning of this movie, we get Kirk coming in. They're in the sort of the Torpedo Bay area. When he comes in, they blow the whistle and they say like, Admiral on the ship or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's before he talks to Preston. He's like, right. Seeing all of them in this line. And then to see them in this line at the end, but with Spock being absent now, and Kirk's speech. Kirk says, of all the souls I have encountered, his was the most human. Oh, oh, oh come God. on. Why did he have
1: to yep. say
0: that?
3: That
2: kills me.
1: Right. No, Rihanna, you're oh. so right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's Kirk who... Actually, as we have spoken about it, several times privately and, you know, now publicly. <laughs> it was uh, private. Kirk, or... Kirk has, well, I mean, you know, when we, when we don't have microphones on. Yeah. Kirk has a hard time expressing his feelings. He does. That's. It's always been kind of mm-hmm. a, an issue with him. And yeah. for him to say that just gets you in, it just deep. And, and, you know, and I appreciate you saying that, Rihanna and Ashlyn, because you brought up in the very beginning of this podcast how, you know, Nimoy kind of made up his mind this is going to be probably it for me. So it's very possible that Shatner and Nimoy were having a moment as well. I think that's a great point. I didn't think about that. Mm. Them as just actors and people, that moment is so genuine. I mean, it tears me up. Luckily, he went on and did more movies with them, but at the moment, that might have been them saying goodbye to each other as actors and as Mm. people that they have spent so much time with each other creating these characters. So uh, it's a great point. I think it's fascinating that Nimoy said you know what yeah i I need to come back into this i mean i i can't leave this it's almost like if you're in a situation with just these tremendous people and you think you know what i need to step down you know i need to go somewhere else and then you think what am i doing (laughs) actually what am i doing because this is a pretty amazing cast of people and you know what i want to continue that this is not just a singular movie I mean it may have been to some teenager just saying, "No, check this star Star Trek stuff out. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so yeah, so it's kinda like, eh, you know, yeah, it's got you know, it's kinda sad, but no. I mean if you're a fan of the series and it falls all the way through, oh my god. So sad. I mean, you feel it so deeply. Spock is just such a noble bastard, as Bones would probably say. To <laughs> He's just doing what he knows is right for humanity and for the ship and all these people and there's just no doubting this is what I need to do. But at the same time, he has deep relationships with these people and deep relationships with me and with yeah. you, yeah. And with you, Ashley, mm-hmm. and with yeah. all and with everybody who loves Star Trek for all that it is. And so it is, I agree, it it hit me this like a bomb. Like I couldn't believe it. Again, going back to what I was saying before. It's like, okay, cool, we're wrapping this up with Khan. All right, fuck you, Ken. We, we got gotcha. you. Right. Your lust and your greed is what gotcha. And take care of yourself. And we're looking forward to going to the third movie, Cool. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it's just like, oh, whoa, whoa. What the what? I think it opened up, like I said, it opened up a whole storyline for the next movie. And moving forward. And then, of course, you have four, which I cannot wait to listen to that podcast. Um, <laughs> you
0: know, and three
1: is brilliant. And I can't wait to hear, yeah. hear the two of you wax poetic about that but yeah so it's just something i think they had to do i guess is what i'm trying to say it's Mm -hmm. i think it's a brilliant choice it moves it forward in a way that i don't think it could have been moved if you could ask me okay you have power now if you have control of this whole universe okay what would you do i wouldn't change anything i think it's just brilliant the way the Mm -hmm. whole thing plays out and it just deepens even more if that's possible it deepens these characters and their sense of purpose they're there on a five-year mission for humanity. And it kind of brings you back to that. It
0: really mm-hmm. does.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love what you said about how Shatner and Nimoy were getting a chance to say goodbye. And I think you're totally right. I think that moment was genuine because when they filmed that, they didn't know Nimoy was coming back. And so yeah. I, I love the idea that not even Nimoy can resist this ending. Yeah, he, Even the greatest, he was like, that felt wrong. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <right. laughs> he was yeah, like, exactly. I didn't like dying like that. Right. No, nope. I don't like it. Well, yep. and
2: I also think it's such a significant point in his career because for him, it seems like, okay, I'm kind of over Spock. But if you think about the legacy of how Spock continues in the Star Trek universe, I mean, Nimoy is in episodes of The Next Generation. He Mm -hmm. goes on to be in the new, like, Star Trek 2009. Like, Mm -hmm. the character of Spock. Luckily, since Vulcans live so long, he's able to participate in this wider Star Trek universe and just goes beyond the original series. And if he had left right now, you know, in Could 82, oh my right? God. I mean, right? I think I think the franchise would have died. You know, Dad, he's yeah. talked so much about That's how this point. was an invigoration of Star Trek and the fact that Nimoy decided to remain on board is a huge deal. And I just, I love it so much. And I think it's really interesting how they deal, like the couple of scenes that we get after Nimoy's death, you know, we talked about the funeral a lot already. I did feel like, yeah, it was a little tactless of them not to mention any of the cadets that died throughout, but whatever. (laughs) We have Kirk, we have the completion of his arc at the end of the movie when he's talking to David and David realizes you're my father. And I'm actually proud of you. I was wrong about you. You are a good man. At the end of the movie, McCoy asks him, How do you feel? How are you doing? And Kirk says, I feel young. I think some reasons, obviously, you know, he's this whole movie been complaining about how he's an admiral and he feels old Mm -hmm. and like he's Mm -hmm. having a hard time embracing age. But for the first time, he's feeling young because he's never encountered death before. And so this is something that he's doing for the first time that, of course, would make you feel like, I'm in uncharted territories. This is a a big deal for me. And also because he has a son, which feels like Mm. maybe a second chance at life for him. That now that David knows who he is, maybe they can have a next adventure together. So even though he's lost his best friend, he still has this second shot so mm-hmm. I, I just love how this movie ends, that even though we've all gone through the most tragic loss of our lives, um, <laughs> there is still hope yeah, for Kirk. Right.
3: For Kirk, yes. yeah. Ashley, I love how you said that because I hadn't thought about David as being sort of this part of his reasoning for feeling so young. And I think that the whole idea of Genesis also brought forth that for him. I mean, he talks about perhaps I'll come this way again. And I'm like, yeah, in the next movie. (laughs) But, you know, at the moment, it's just sort of this little offhand comment where he's looking to the Genesis planet and Carol's there and David and McCoy. And I think it's such an important moment of growth for all of them to see that yes Spock is gone but this life can spring anew and there can be this look towards the future and i think honestly that's the best way that this movie could have ended because it does give me that flicker of hope again you know even yeah. in even amidst my tears and my yeah. just utter sadness about Spock dying on screen as we're seeing only minutes before now at least we're getting this moment of revelation for Kirk, and we're getting this closure and this this beauty, you know? I think that Kirk has been seeking for so long to feel young again, and everything he's tried hasn't worked, and this is the first thing that he feels finally content and happy and young about, you know? And right. I just, I do love that for him, and I love this conclusion, even though we don't have Spock with us spock saved them and so it's the gratitude that they all have that they're alive at that moment right. because of spock's sacrifice
1: great point both of you just great points so i love what you're talking about when when he talks about you know i feel young i take that as follow your passions follow your passions because if you're truly doing what you're passionate about you feel young and so mm. For Kirk, I mean, this is a very stressful job. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm an elementary school teacher, and it's it can be very stressful. And when we're done with this podcast, I got some work to do, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do that because that's what you do for your students. But, you know, I'm not in harm's way. I, I, I don't have a con <laughs> that's trying to kill me every day. That's it's good a very know. stressful job. Yeah, yeah. But I think that he's invigorated by all this. Because again, yes. he loves trying to figure out, he gets, he gets in these situations where everybody else is like, no, no, there's no way, man, you can't get out of this. And he loves to use his intellect. And he feels it's a sense of purpose. So to me, it's following your passion and finding a sense of purpose in your life. And that's what makes you feel young, right? If you're feeling your purpose in life and you're following your passions, it makes you feel young. I love that angle with David because that also gives him another sense of purpose. Like Mm -hmm. I'm actually a father. I mean, I know that you know, I have pretty much ignored my son for a long time. But, yeah. It, but, Ashton, as you point out, maybe there's, there's a chance here. Maybe it's a chance for me to reconnect because David seems very receptive to it, even though in the beginning he was not at all. But once he <laughs> found out the context and all this other stuff... Maybe him and, um, and his dad could go to some kind of yuppie farm and you know, be, <laughs> you know, and be very happy together. But, no, I mean, good. <laughs> kind of, yeah, I think it all kind of ties itself together. But I just think it's interesting because, like you said, the legacy that Spock leaves, it carries over, even, I think, within the crew, I think within the cast. Of course, he's there. He left a legacy that I mm-hmm. think you could argue, I think he is the center. I mean, Kirk is... In most respects, is the center, but I don't know. I think Spock is the heart and soul of the Enterprise, and he, the thing I think you love about Spock, I think, is that he is constant. He is mm-hmm. there. He is not gonna be whimsy and say, you know what? I, I feel like I'm gonna take a couple. I'm gonna take a vacation and I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's so yeah. consistent. You know, I think people appreciate that. It's like you know people in your life like that. He's a rock. He's mm-hmm. just solid. Those are such redeeming qualities. And he's not completely erratic on one side or the other. He's not emotionally, ah, you know, like Kirk is sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Which you mm-hmm. do love that about Kirk, of course. Yeah. And I think there's so much that people can take from that. It's just, it's, it makes me calm thinking of Spock just because he's going to be steady. He's there for you. He's going to talk you down to any dumb things you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And he's going to let you know I have a boss like this. And it's just—it's so wonderful, and it's just like I don't know. So to not have them there, there's like a flux for for a while. Yeah, absolutely. But but absolutely, I mean, but it's but it's genius, and it's brilliant. It is. And I just want to say, I love you both. I I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on this podcast, but I I love you both so much, and I love your I love your passion for this. I'm so exhilarated. Like I might be up all night now. I I feel like I have a Star (laughs) Trek drug now. This is how we feel.
3: So great
1: to talk to you about this. And 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 you have such amazing insight. And I love this podcast. I'm telling you, this is amazing. Anyway.
3: Thank you, Dad. Yeah. I mean, we love you so much. And we're just so grateful because you're one of the reasons that we started watching Star Trek in the first uh, place. We would sit up late at night watching reruns of the original series with you. And yeah. you just brought us into this world. And honestly, I don't imagine my life without it. And I don't care to, you know, <laughs> yeah, and so, right, right. I just oh, am yeah. so thankful that we could do this episode with you. And I just have oh. a fucking blast talking about The Wrath of Khan, because it's just one of the greatest movies out there. Yeah, we yes. haven't had yep. a PG-13
2: episode in a long <laughs> time, so... Yeah.
1: I, will, I will bring the R to the episode for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy we got to watch this movie. This is why I was so excited to do the movie series. And Dad, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, your history, your perspective was really valuable to this. And I just love being reminded about how similar we all are, and Mm -hmm. just about Mm -hmm. how Star Trek love can bring us all together.
3: (laughs)
1: Yes,
3: absolutely.
1: Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm always, I always appreciate when I can just possibly contribute to something. So thank you so much. It's been a complete honor. I love this podcast, and I love you both, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the third episode of our movie series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek The Search for Spock. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also, take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these fantastic podcast series, the pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. During this pandemic, because.
3: Lily, stop it with stop messing with Commissioner Gordon. Okay, anyway. That's a blooper. <laughs> <laughs>